This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is bonus episode 195. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. This is just a very quick introduction to an episode which is primarily comprised of pre-recorded stuff from a while ago. Now I'm very much aware that we are, what, at this stage about four days away from Bazoween starting. The return of the mighty, mighty Baz to the podcast under the stairs. Some of you guys have been checking out the show within the last year and may have not ventured back to check out the stuff that I did with the Baz over five years on podcasts under the stairs. Some of you guys have been there from the very beginning and know quite well the man's antics in nature and some people let's be honest have just forgotten the sound of the man's voice i spoke to him on whatsapp today and said you know if i was to put together a clip show of sorts could you pick three of your favorite reviews and he said to me that he can't really remember much he'd been drinking a lot when he did the reviews but He has fond memories of the following three reviews. I'm going to play them in their entirety for you and uh, hopefully you get as excited as I am for the return of the Baz for five weeks on Podcasts Under the Stairs this October for Bazoween. Enjoy!
welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Cannibal Ferox, our first movie review from 1981. <clears throat> this movie was written and directed by Umberto Lenzi, a rather a rather a infamous name in Italian exploitation horror cinema. Um, the movie stars a ton of Italian people, so I'm going to skip out the reading of those names um, and jump straight wouldn't to this. Wouldn't you love it though? I was thinking this when I was watching it. Sorry to interrupt your flow here. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a really famous fucking actor appeared in one of these in an early role? <laughs> and I just like, like, like Pacino or something like that. Do you know what I mean? In, in fairness, I like it's. It's not always the case with. Italian horror, Italian horror cinema, especially of the seventies and eighties, did get well established, like kind of English or American actors into their movies. As you'll see when we move on and look, especially at the Jallo subgenre, that as a way to sell it to America, you would have a famous American actor in it, surrounded by Italians, um, all, right. all really badly dubbed. Um, but it seems to be, I think it seems to be more of an American thing than anything else like of the time period the 70s and 80s that kind of up and coming actors that are now really well established kind of had to pay their dues by going through a horror movie mm. um, and we've seen a few of them already in like Johnny Depp and um, Nightmare on Elm Street or Kevin Bacon and Friday the 13th and these ones obviously are huge stars in their own right now but kind of had to start off like almost like it's like a like, like some sort of like badge of respect in the, in the industry you, your first movie had to be a horror movie I, I dare say there will be names in this movie that will be of some sort of higher standing in Italian cinema but none that spring out to me I just thought it'd be cool if you saw like Keanu Reeves fist in a cuddly <laughs> death or something like that do you know what I mean that'd have been funny <laughs> the year is young that movie might still come out fingers crossed <laughs> Kickstarter Let's do this, bitch. <laughs> he was in a movie uh, that came out in the UK, um, I think it's in the last two weeks, that grossed a whopping £81 in its opening weekend. Who's that, Big Keanu? Yeah, some some uh, crime thriller or something. It grossed a grand total of £81 out oh, of the gosh. entire UK cinema release. Jesus. Yeah, not very good at all. Um, it's, it's long gone are the days of the Matrix, Buzz, um, <laughs> or, or Bill and Ted. But uh, yeah, according to IMDb, the synopsis for this movie is three friends out to disprove cannibalism meet two men on the run who tortured and enslaved the cannibal tribe to find emeralds. And now the tribe is out for revenge. Um, so why did I pick this movie for you, Buzz? Well, because you hate me. <laughs> this movie uh, infamously was on the video nasty list. Um, so this will be your third video nasty. Third I think. Or fourth, I think. Yeah, yeah you're, you're getting through them. But third or fourth at seventy-two, we're doing no bad. Um, so. <laughs> uh, I chose this one because we watched Cannibal Holocaust, and like I said at the, the intro there, Cannibal Holocaust is arguably the most famous and probably the most disturbing cannibal movie ever made and ever released. Yeah. And I, I genuinely think, like I've said before, that it holds up on repeat watchings. Even now it holds up, um, which was testament to when you watched it back in 2014, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Impact. Now, yeah. Cannibal Ferox came out... Oh, 
about a year later, maybe not even as long as a year later. Um, and Umberto Lenzi claimed at the time that he had never seen Cannibal Holocaust, which is clearly a lie when you yeah. watch this movie. He really had. But I will defend Lenzi very quickly by saying the first cannibal Italian horror movie ever made was directed by Umberto Lenzi some five or six years before this. So he, what was that? Uh, I want to see, is it Prisoner of the Cannibal Gods? Uh, I see. I'll find out now while we're talking. But uh, yeah, so he basically kicked the kicked the genre off. Um, so uh, all I'm going to say <laughs> is that yes, he clearly, clearly ripped it off. But at the same time, we need to stand back and say, okay, but you kind of did one first. So. It's not as if he was ripping off an entire genre. Um, I can't for the life of me find the name of this fucking movie. Uh, Suffice to say, he did do it. Definitely did it, um, because I have covered it. Um, So yeah, so he he started the ball rolling. He did clearly rip off Cannibal Holocaust, though, um, and we will get into that in this. But the other reason I chose it is because I said to you, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when we were chatting, that Cannibal Ferox to me is the... It's like the Hollywood remake of... It's quite funny, actually, because we're going to be doing Green Inferno on this show. But it's kind of like what yeah, Hollywood... remake. Yeah, <laughs> it, it would kind of be what Hollywood... How Hollywood would remake Cannibal Holocaust. And that it would cover a similar story, but all the things that make the movie, like, impact, all the, the, the nausea that you feel watching that movie would be pretty much gone because there would be something lost in the translation. And that's to me what Cannibal Ferox is. Let's see what you made of it. Baz, the floor is yours now, sir. Let us know. Cannibal Ferox. Yeah, so I slumped down onto my couch earlier <laughs> to fucking put myself through this. Uh, filled with trepidation, it has to be said. I, I was cursing myself. Oh, I can't believe I've fucking done this again. I felt so ill watching. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust when I was hungover that I, I couldn't believe I was stupid enough to do it again. But I was. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, I didn't know anything about Ferox. I'd heard about it, certainly. It's one that's talked about quite a lot and there's a hilarious vine. Uh, some of our American listeners might not get this. There's a Scott, a Glaswegian comedian called Limmy. Oh, Limmy's amazing. Um, yeah, he has his own TV show and that um, and he does a lot of uh, online content as well. He's, a, he's re- I like Lemmy, but some of his st- his humour is really, really fucking weird. It's dark but, at yeah. times. It gets super dark. But um, <laughs> he does a lot of vines, like a lot of vines. Um, and he, he famously did when he plays this speaking an Ed guy. <laughs> he comes home and just like, "What did you get for the video show?" Like, cannibal ferox, <laughs> cannibal what? <laughs> it, it's shite when I do it it was really funny when Lemmy did it yeah so I was aware of Cannibal Ferox although I certainly hadn't seen it um, opens up quite a weird way it starts off with this bitching kind of 70s tune and there's this kind of jive talking fucking wee junkie boy trying to buy some heroin he gets smacked about a bit um, I think he might get killed can't really remember it's two toughs at his dealer's place basically and the cops come to investigate it and they're looking for some tour guide chick as a result of this and then it just and it completely inexplicably cuts to folk driving a jeep in South America somewhere. Uh, the scenes j- jump about 
no end in this movie yeah. and it's, it's fucking bonkers although I did grudgingly begin to enjoy it as it went on kind of thing because <laughs> it's just so fucking weird there's a bit later on with a Salvation Army band that it just has no place in this film <laughs> um, and it turns out the three people in this jeep are kind of three of the main characters um, I couldn't be arsed learning their names as usual so I've given them titles one one was initially called Scientist but she's actually an anthropologist so we're going to call her Anthropologist then there's the whore and then there's the gay dude. <laughs> the gay, the gay yeah. dude featured quite heavily in your tweets. Yeah, yeah, he's hilarious, man. He's not like he's even gay, but he wears a neckerchief. <laughs> you know, like completely unironically. So, yeah, uh, he's the gay dude. Uh, they're asking some cops for a village, basically. Um, and I'm going to say, <laughs> the, the, some of the cops are speaking in Spanish or maybe Portuguese, I'm not sure. Right? <clears throat> yeah. I don't think they were even speaking in that. I think they made up. I think they were making up the words. You're just fucking making that up, mate. That's no Spanish or Portuguese. You know what I mean? You just find a Hispanic looking guy and go, like, just say something. Just say it sounds fucking Spanish, mate. Go. <laughs> Particularly the wee mustachioed sergeant that they meet earlier on, who then is an ugly, greasy, sweaty looking guy. And the whore just decides to go and bone him. <laughs> just basically, what about that shower, big man? On you come. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? You know, that's how she get named the whore. <laughs> Fucking mental. Oh, you're, you're impression, you're impression <laughs> the accent's a bit me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a video online, there's a video online, I see it every now and again, where um, it's like some, it's like a, the Dutch Jerry Springer and it's about a guy who had a failed operation, I think it's in his vocal cords, and he speaks, but he speaks in this ridiculously high-pitched tone and the, the host breaks down and it like fits a laugh whenever he does it, and he tries to, and your impression there is I honestly it's the same fucking voice that that has about ended me but I don't think I think that's the highlight of the show I don't think we're talking that now that was fucking amazing if everybody could just turn off then I can stop now so thanks for listening (laughs) no chance I've been the Baz right moving on the anthropologist holding the gay dude The, the, the Hispanic people aren't speaking Spanish the whore, I basically didn't hear the whore fucks the sergeant. Oh, vulgar. So then they're down at the, the a boat, he, getting ready to head down the river. The whore comes back for getting rowed, um, and they head off. <clears throat> we then discovered that basically the, the anthropologist, Lassie, is kind of doing a PhD thesis, and the subject of it is basically attempting to disprove cannibalism. She maintains that it was a, a construct of kind of invading Europeans if you like to sort of denigrate the native people you know they're they're so subhuman they eat each other type thing so she's out there to basically prove that uh, cannibalism doesn't exist Um, quite how she plans on doing that I have no fucking idea it's a bit of a fucking stretch and also you you can assume fairly early on she's going to fail because it's a cannibal film do you know what I mean so it's it's probably not going to go too well for her Um. Then a guy on the boat eats a butterfly, which is kind of weird. And then a lady gives them a mongoose. So basically they head into the jungle in a jeep, and they've got a wee mongoose on a leash. I think it's a mongoose. Uh, It was a weird looking thing. Mm Kind of like a shite badger. 
So I think possibly it was a mongoose. And they're walking about on a wee rope. It, it, it was quite surreal. I did quite like that. Though. The jeep breaks down, so they head on in foot, obviously. Uh, they come across a wee cannibal guy that's just sitting, eating live grubs. So that's the first kind of animal abuse we see. And he's picking these grubs up. And he is eating them straight in front of you. You get the kind of gratuitous eating with my mouth open, watching bits of grub fall out my mouth kind of thing, you know? And he also rather bizarrely doesn't even blink at the fact that three white folk have turned up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He just stares vacantly ahead and continues eating the maggots. Um, then there's another wee cannibal dude's kind of watching them. They make camp and they go to sleep and the mongo... <laughs> the, the mongoose gets killed by a massive fucking snake. Yeah. And, and, and uh, it wasn't nice. A lot of the fucking... There is animal violence in this film. It's not... There, there is a lot, but... It, there's more than... Believe it or not, there's more than Holocaust. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. It's maybe not as gratuitous as it was in, in Holocaust, I thought. I wasn't quite as shocked by it yeah. for whatever reason. The, the, Maybe that's just because I've seen Holocaust. I was going to say, there's, there's two reasons, I think. One is because you have seen Holocaust, um, but two, it's used for different impact in this movie. Um, yeah. The camera lingers over it a lot longer than it would have in Holocaust, and I think that kind of works to its detriment. Like in Holocaust, like when you see an animal get tortured or, or killed in that movie, it stays on it just as long to make an impact and then moves to the next scene, where in Ferox it hangs over maybe a good 10 seconds longer than... It's funny you say that, actually, because I noticed littered through this film are kind of scenery shots yeah and it, they're clearly padding the film out mm-hmm. with, in my mind with that kind of stuff there's no reason to keep in the, particularly in the village that appears later on suddenly there's all this stuff happening and suddenly you'll just get this fucking scene for about 15 seconds where it's just pictures of empty buildings like, what the fuck are you doing and it just seemed to me that they were kind of padding the film out at points almost do you know yeah. what I mean uh, yeah, the other thing about it, a lot of the animal violence is animal on animal. Yes. Which perhaps lessens it slightly. It's not, you know, people killing animals just to be dicks. It's, you know, but the the, the noise that the wee mongoose was making as it was basically getting eaten by a snake was really quite unpleasant, I've got yeah. to say. I did, didn't like it at all. But I, didn't, I don't like fucking animals. I'm not maybe quite as bad as you, but it's just a, a thing in this genre that I really dislike. Yeah, yeah, seeing, do you know what I mean? Um, so then they, they find a couple of cannibals that have basically been killed by booby traps. The whore, she's kind of freaking out, tries to run away. <laughs> we gay dude slaps her fucking purple. <laughs> I, did, I did tweet about this, now. I hope nobody's offended with my tweets because it was very tongue-in-cheek. But it was that classic kind of 70s pull yourself together stupid women slap fucking slap do you know what I mean <laughs> calm down you hysterical bitch whack right off the pus do you know what I mean and I'm like oh my fucking god and I, I laughed really hard and I wasn't laughing at the the fact that there was violence towards women it, it's the fact that that used to be acceptable. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Guy just slaps her fucking black and blue to shut her up. Shut up! You know what I mean? I did have a bit of a fucking chuckle at that, but it's just so dated. It just it makes you think what it was like in those fucking days. Uh, after he slapped her and managed to calm her down, <laughs> uh, 
Two other white guys appear out of the jungle, kind of looking for help. One of them's injured. Um, they say they've been attacked by cannibals and they all head off to the river together. Uh, one of the, the new guys who we find out is this character called Mike. Um, I couldn't come up with a good name for him, so unfortunately he's just Mike. <laughs> um, he sounds so depressed about that. Yeah, I know, I was desperate for some. He looked like a young somebody. Maybe a bit like a young Dirk Benedict from the A-team. But that, <laughs> well, the moment's passed now, so we're just going to call him Mike. Um, he kind of recounts their story and it's something about basically they'd headed off and he loves this cocaine he's, he's a big fan of the old fucking marching powder he's constantly snorting out his wee cocaine receptacle he wears on his neck and uh, he tells them a story that basically him and the injured boy headed out of the jungle with some Portuguese guy I think he said he kind of implied they were searching for drugs or something fucking thing I don't know mm-hmm. There's emeralds coming here later on, but we'll come to that later on. Uh, anyway, basically, he says that they get captured by these fucking cannibals and they basically tortured this wee Portuguese guy, cut his cock off, and uh, ate it, and then they managed to escape um, and took these other two prisoners or some fucking thing, the two that we find dead kind of thing. So it all sounds fucking slightly suspicious, I've got to say, at this point. Um... Where are we now? Sorry, so the mongoose has been fucking dead. So yeah, so they, he tells them their story, kind of like their mate's cock. And then the whore fucks one of them. Just for fucking... <laughs> just because she's dirty. Um, you know, I mean, he comes across as an arsehole. The guy really does come across as an arsehole and she just nails him in the first night, do you know what I mean? Um, they get up in the morning, we see a jaguar killer monkey. <laughs> For no fucking reason other than he'd like you see another animal get killed. Ah, oh, it's so fucking weird this film. The gay the gay dude. Oh no, sorry. When they wake up, the, the, the anthropologist girl's disappeared, so they split up to look for her, and then we see the Jaguar killing the monkey. The gay dude and the wounded guy, they find the cannibal village. They find the decomposing corpse of the Portuguese dude who's caught getting eaten. Kind of all strung up to a fucking post thing. But it, it, it's a decomposed corpse. You can't actually tell who this is. He just goes like, is that your mate? The, the, it's caught. Aye, that's him. Uh, the, the, there's some cannibals in the village, but they're just sitting about staring. It's kind of weird. <laughs> anyway, elsewhere, Mike and the whore find the scientist in a pit getting attacked by this wee pig. So he jumps in and kills the fucking pig with a knife. Yeah, there's an interesting story about that. We'll uh, we'll cover that at the end. Alright, okay. The the woman wasn't very happy when she said seemed to say it was gratuitous. It wasn't that when the pig was trying to eat her foot, I've got to say. She's like, get in here and get this thing fucking killed. Um I've written here as well the dubbing in this movie is horrific. Yeah. Like horrific. It's like one of those stupid martial arts films. <laughs> eh anybody all meet up at the village, we gay dudes taking pictures. Um, the kind of younger cannibals all appear to be missing the old ones are a bit afraid wounded guy collapses got a bit of fever Mike wants to leave him there so he's a really shite friend 
Um, and I also know at this point he refers to women as twats, which I think in America is a really derogatory term for women. I might be wrong in that, but I think well, over here we would call somebody a twat. Yeah. It just means you're a bit stupid kind of thing. Yeah, but well, I think no, a, a twat means your lady area. Yeah, aye, it's a kind of female genitalia reference. Yeah, but I think when used to describe a lady, it's not very nice. But he refers to them as that. Just they could, they could use the, the, the P word if you want, Baz. No. All right, sorry, all right, no. Then <laughs> uh, an iguana kills a snake. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the animal violence, there's. In Ferox, there was kind of always a reason for it. You mean Holocaust? Sorry, in Holocaust, there always seemed to be a fucking tenuous reason for killing this poor animal. Yeah. There's not in this, they just keep showing animals killing animals. Weird. <laughs> um. <laughs> Mike bones the whore again. Uh, so guys, basically they found this fucking village that they're terrified they're going to eat the cannibals. They just set up shop in one of the wee fucking huts. Uh, and she's relaxed enough to get fucking road again. Um, her and Mike say okay to Koki and get on the fucking marching powder again. Um, <laughs> this is my favourite review ever. <laughs> <laughs> they then decide, because apparently the cocaine they're on must be really fucking amazing cocaine. Right? Like really good shit. Because they then suddenly decide, why don't we go and fucking kidnap a wee local bird and we'll rape the shit out of her? Yeah. So they head down to the village, there's like a young girl and a guy, wee native folk fucking about in the river. They, they kind of grab the girl, force her to the ground and all that, and he's... The Mike character's trying to get the whore to fucking stab her or cut her or something like that. It's all a bit weird. The wee guy tries to run away, so Mike fucking grabs him. The whore comes to her sense and throws the knife away. And... The girl, the wee younger one, tries to run away and Mike fucking shoots her. Because he's an arsehole. She's dead. The whore helps the wee guy get away kind of thing. She fucking says that you better fuck off before he kills you as well. Obviously nobody's very happy that he's killed somebody. Um, the other, the wee gay dude comes down, like, what the fuck's going on, man? Oh god, you've shot somebody and there's a really shite fist fight. Um, back in the hut, the wounded guy's getting worse. Mike goes off looking for roots. So, you know, one minute he's ready to leave him there to die. Mm-hmm. Then he goes off foot on the rape. That doesn't go according to plan, so he shoots some poor wee lassie. But then he's like that, yes, there's certain roots can have the uh, antiseptic medicinal properties. Let me go and see if I can find some. What the fuck? Where's your character going, you big man? Do you know what I mean? Make your fucking mind up. Are you a unfriendly rapist? Or are you some fucking medicine quinn woman? Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I get the name of that show really badly wrong, didn't I? <laughs> Medicine Quinn. It's Dr. Quinn Medicine. Yeah, that's it. Aye. <laughs> he's, like a, he's, like, he's like a rapist Dr. Quinn. Okay. Um, yeah, right, so he's off looking for roots. Then the Indians hack up a live turtle. We've been there before, haven't we? Yeah. They don't indulge in the orgy of organ ripping that we were fucking party to in Holocaust, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. 
But the poor wee thing is still fucking alive as they're hacking its limbs off, and yeah. that's fucking uncool. Yeah. Not like that at all. It's not as bad as the Holocaust one, but Jesus Christ, what do you people have against fucking turtles? Mm. Is it because they don't have turtles in Italy? Is that what it is? I just think it's because Holocaust did it. I think Holocaust did it, and people, that was like the most offensive scene to critics and most of the people that saw that movie, so why not do it again? You know, if it worked in one movie, it'll work in the second. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Sorry, I'm going to interject with something here. Uh-huh. Can you fucking believe Axel Rose has joined ACDC? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, man? I, I, yeah, I just think it's a shite idea. <laughs> like, genuine... Every which way. Yeah. I just think it's an awful, awful, awful idea, and I think if Axel Rose actually thought it was a good idea or ACDC thought it was a good idea that shows how far removed they are from common sense now yeah oh man Malcolm's not the only one with fucking dementia now by the way yeah <laughs> Angus is clearly riddled with it and like here's an amazing fucking idea let's get Axel Rose in yeah, Listen, he's, anyway he sorry. seems like a, tr- a trustworthy stalwart non-egotistical yeah, front man yeah we'll, we'll definitely get a fucking whole world tour with him do you know what I mean <laughs> Anyway, for people that aren't sitting in the room with me, the reason I brought this up is I've been exiled up the stairs uh, to allow my poor wife to watch the television in peace, and I'm in the room that has my gigantic fucking CD collection, and I happened to glance up and saw ACDC's live at River Plate, and it brought it to my mind. <laughs> anyway, right, back to the fucking... Uh, <laughs> Dr. Like, Quint fucking native raper. One of my favourite reviews ever, honestly. This review just gets better every fucking second that goes on. I've lost all interest and I've just seen how much fucking notes I've got left to go, man. <laughs> right, battering on. Wounded guy kind of comes to uh, and tells a couple of them the real story about what happened. It was basically the thing about the Portuguese guy was a fucking pack of lies. They were down there looking for emeralds with a wee native guy who knew, like, to how to say obrigado. And so they called him Portuguese guy. But he was actually one of the natives. They he had some emeralds with him, and he's like, ah, there's hundreds of them in the wee river down by my house. So they head off down there. They enlist some of the natives to help them. Uh, Mad Mike gets full of his fucking hallucinogenic cocaine and attacks them. Um, and they basically take the village prisoners because again, all the younger ones only there. Um, and they tie the wee pal up and torture him and cut his boys off. So that's where the castration thing came from. So it wasn't their threat. They basically did it. These two white guys did it to the, the natives. Mm-hmm. Um, and they cut a... Yeah, they, they, sorry, they, they get one of the, their pals, wee pals, and they torture them in front and they cut his eye out and cut his cock off and all this. Their wee boy dies the next day. And then they take a girl hostage and head off out of the jungle and that's basically what happened. That leads up to them meeting the other three fucking idiots. Um, so then they're like, oh that's why everybody's so fucking terrified he is yeah that's it that's exactly why um, they decide they have to get the fuck out before the other ones turn up um, turns out Mike and the whore have fucked off with everybody's valuables and possessions and stuff so they're utter cunts um, and then we're back in New York all of a sudden and the police have found the tour guide and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Do you know what I mean? I, up to this point, thought that the tour guide was the whore. Uh-huh. Turns out, no. 
Turns out the tour guide is Mike's girlfriend back in New York, and he's the drug dealer that the fucking idiot at the start was trying to find. There's, <laughs> there's no need for this fucking New York bit. It adds nothing to this film whatsoever, <laughs> other than to confuse you. Do you know why it's in the movie, though, Wes? Don't even care, don't. Because? Oh, God, you're going to tell me anyway. Right? Because? Anyway. Where does Cannibal Holocaust start? In New oh, York. Yeah. That's the only reason it can be in here is that, you know, we're doing a, a copy, so we need a scene in New York. Right, okay. It's about That's it. shite, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes it is. Anyway, back to the jungle. Wounded guys now died. So he, he recovered remarkably in order to relate this huge fucking tale of what they did. Then he died. The exertion was clearly too much. The other natives turn up, start mutilating his corpse, start eating his innards and all that. We gay dude and the anthropologists see this. She's all freaked too, because it turns out cannibalism's real. They run off out of the jungle where they've captured the natives. Uh, they've also caught Mike in the whore. And they string Mike up and lock the other three in a cage and then they cut Mike's cock off and eat it in front of him. Now, I've got to say, <laughs> at this point, these fucking cannibals, man. Do you know what I mean? Why not take a slice out his arse or something? <laughs> Why? You know what I mean? If you if you handed me a cow's fucking... If you pulled up in the motor and said, Baz, here, I've got a fucking cow's carcass for you. Pack that boy up and get it in the freezer for some steaks. I would not go straight for its fucking cock. Do you know what I mean? I would butcher it up properly, get some nice fucking steak, but oh, they, they, they're obsessed with genitals. Anyway, right, so they've eaten Mike's cock, right? Um, that's, and then, then I suppose it'll make you like someone gets a slice at their arse. Ah, you might have a wee kind of uh, in the cinema when you're watching it at home. Someone chops off your cock, you're gonna cross your legs and wince a bit more. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm just, I'm just thinking, man, you're a guy as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why would you? <laughs> Why would you save a penis in your yeah. mouth? Do you know what I mean? It I is. Don't know. <laughs> No, it's not working for me at all. <laughs> um, and then it jumps back to New York again in a brilliant scene with a Salvation Army band. I've just written here weird. Um, uh, and then the tour guide gets attacked to the two toughs for the start of the film. Cops turn up and tell their mics in the Amazon. It's fucking ludicrous. Yeah. Um, Back in the jungle, the natives then cauterize Mike, the, basically the fucking open wound that used to be Mike's fucking pride and joy. I don't know what they cauterize it with, but it's fucking amazing because after this, he's running about fucking with, with gay abandon, it's got to be said, for a man that's just been fucking castrated. Do you know what I mean? He, he lasts about another 15 minutes in this film, and you think he was fucking Charles Bronson or something the way he's leaping about doing all his action stunts. So yeah, they have an amazing fucking cauterization technique using some leaves. Um, God, where did we go there? Oh, then they, then they go down river in some canoes. The wee gay boy, he he tries to escape out of the jungle. He injures his leg and hides in a river and is then subjected to the worst piranha attack in fucking cinematic history. <laughs> There's no even fucking piranhas. And I know because in our biology lab in my high school, we had a piranha. So some prick fucking poured cement into the tank. But we had, so I know what? they were. Oh, some asshole got fucking cement. Like, 
cement powder from somewhere and poured it into the wee piranha's tank. Right, that's well, it, it was this guy a stunt double in Cannibal Ferox? I don't know, he was, he was an arsehole, he was fucking unhinged, the boy. He got into a lot of fucking trouble for it. But in fairness, what kind of fucking school is a live piranha in a classroom? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The old fucking Danoon Grammar School. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Mitchell, if you're listening to this. Mr. Mitchell is the new headmaster who's actually my childhood friend. He's <laughs> the fucking headmaster of our old school. Jesus, like, was Danoon twinned with fucking an Amazon tribe or something? Aye, I know, I know. Jesus. Anyway, so, right, so he's basically cut his leg. There's a shitey fucking piranha attack that it doesn't involve any piranhas because I know they're not fucking piranhas. And then basically there's a bit, he drags himself out the water screaming for help and they've kind of sellotaped this little fish to his leg. <laughs> It's <laughs> so fucking bad. Thankfully, shortly after that, a native, a native kills him with a blow dart. Yeah. And we can just put that whole fucking sorry scene to bed. Um, they put Mike in a pit in the ground, and the girls get kind of imprisoned in this cave thing. I've read here that Mike looks remarkably well considering his castration. Um, the cannibals start lowering lumps of human meat into the cave, so the girls decide to have a wee bit of a sing song. Again, kind of weird. Um, tour guides now turned up in the Amazon looking for Mike with the help of Interpol, which is just fucking ludicrous. The Indians then kill a wee crocodile. No reason, really. Um, then the penisless Mike manages to dig his way out his pit. So this is what I'm saying. You know, the man has just lost his junk, uh, but manages to dig his way out this fucking pit in the ground using nothing but his bare hands. Kills a native. And then another wee native, I think it's the wee native that the girls saved down at the riverbank. He kind of lowers a rope down to the girls to try and help them get out and then Mike turns up and cuts the rope. So basically, I think what's happened is because he's now lost his penis, he hates women. <laughs> like, like more than he did before. Do you know what I mean? I think in some way he blames them for the loss of his penis. Uh, so he cuts the rope and fucks off. Um, the wee tour guide, she's flying about in a seaplane at this point. Um can't even be bothered talking about that. <laughs> Capture Mike again to cut his hand off, so he's gradually losing parts of his body. Um, if anybody's familiar with the comic book Preacher, it's kind of similar what happens to Hair Star. Need comic book reference there for my, my peeps. Um, <laughs> the girls, they get pulled out of a cave. <laughs> and then in the, 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 the probably the most shock, shocking scene, uh, the whore gets her tits out again. Well, I say she gets her tits out. She's, she's, uh, she's basically has her shirt ripped off her. It's, it's not like she was trying to entice anybody. Although I wouldn't have been surprised because she nails people at the drop of a hat, this girl. <laughs> um, they, they rip open her, her thing so we get the gratuitous kind of titty shot. And then they, <laughs> there's a weird wee bit that one of the natives sticks his, his wee spear into one of the fucking dead people and then rubs like blood on, onto the underside <laughs> of each breast. I was like, that's fucking weird. But then it turns out he's using it as a marker because another boy comes along with two massive iron hooks and fires them right through her tits. Yep. I lost the plot at this point. <laughs> Kill all the fucking animals you want, but you'd leave those marvellous tatas alone. You know what I mean? I'm not fucking having this anymore. I'm done with this film. I went to hell. You've gone too fucking far. <laughs> far, new cunt. <laughs> You can cut all the cocks off you want, but don't start fucking about the titties. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that was a genuinely quite jarring thing, though. Um, it's the it's the it's the scene that's considered the most iconic in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and I've got to say it's done quite well. I've got to say, this. There, there's a, a bit. It, I'll, I'll come to it in a second. That's why I won't say this. And I'll come to it in a second. Um, yeah, the the plane flies over, misses this whole fucking scene, but manages to spot a tiny jeep <laughs> and some dense undergrowth. <laughs> Um, this was the land where we see plane in a handy river and um, check out the jeep we mental native guy turns up um, and he's got like Mike's watch and all this kind of shit um, and he tells them basically they all died in a canoe accident so at this point they're like right, well, let's fuck up, get the fuck out of Dodge no, do you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, and I've also noted here uh, there's a couple of scenes at this point where there is actually a piece of debris on the camera lens. Have you ever noticed that? I haven't, no. Yeah, some of the bits when you see the BC flying up in the sky and that one in the camera lens, it's a bit of fucking grass or something like that, or a bit of twig. Mm-hmm. And the top is stuck to the camera lens, and they didn't even think to wipe off. <laughs> fucking unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, back at the village, the whore, she's... I'm, I'm going to have to stop calling her the whore now. You actually. are, like, consider we're almost at the end of the movie yeah, now. she's yeah. hanging by her tits here, do you know what I mean? Let's go. <laughs> I think her name's Pat. Got Patsy. I don't know if that's her name, but I think it is. Poor Patsy's hanging up by her tits. She eventually dies. And I don't think it's quite graphic and actually quite well done. That, to me, the, the bit where she's hanging there is clearly their rip-off of the impaled girl in Holocaust. Yep. To me, do you know what I mean? It's that kind of iconic scene of the basically a female kind of suspended in the air. It's not done as well as the that scene in Holocaust, which I still think is real. Um, but... It's pretty well done, I've got to say. It is quite jarring. Um, so she's dead. Then the handless, penisless Mike, they, they drag him out of his wee cage thing and pop him down in this little contraption, which turns out to be a, a handily prepared head-lopping-off contraption. <laughs> Basically, it's like a table with a hole cut in it and the top of his head pokes through and his head's kind of secured and then they swipe the top of his head off with a machete and they all start snacking on his fucking brains like a popcorn. And I'm like, right, I know you're cannibals, right? But you did not fashion that table on the off chance you decided you wanted some brains. Do you know what I mean? You didn't, you know, I I don't think you do this all the time. <laughs> but this film just lost all its realism for me, Duncan. Um. And I've written you, yeah, it's handy, they had a special table to do that. <laughs> uh, that's sarcasm. <laughs> uh, then basically at night, so the wee anthropologist the only one left, she's fairly depressed with the whole situation now. Uh, a wee native boy, cut, I think it's the wee guy that was rescued, he cuts her out and helps her escape and guides her through the jungle and then fucking tragically gets killed by another one of these booby traps that they set up everywhere <laughs> in the fucking jungle. Um and then she gets found kind of half dead the two animal trappers that turn up in a boat then we're back in New York again she's getting awarded a PhD and the massive twist in this film that comes at the end is basically she's gone along with the canoe accident story and published her thesis about cannibalism being a myth despite the fact she knows it's real Uh, and then she receives a diploma and stares off into the distance menacingly (laughs) This film features awful acting. 
Um, <laughs> which is only surpassed by the fucking poor quality of the dubbing employed. Uh, <laughs> it, um, do you know, I, I didn't completely hate this film. I didn't hate it the way I hated Holocaust. I don't think it is the impact of Holocaust. It's not as visceral as Cannibal Holocaust is. Uh-huh. It's definitely, it doesn't have the impact. And I'm not just saying that having seen um, Holocaust. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think that I've been desensitised enough. It, it just doesn't have the impact of Holocaust. There, there are bits in Holocaust that are genuinely horrifying and others that are just genuinely gut-wrenchingly sickening. And I don't think this film really has any scenes like that. There are kind of jarring scenes and stuff like that, but not not as bad as that. And the, the end of Holocaust, that kind of last 20 minutes of Holocaust, the kind of found footage stuff, like, Holocaust really ramps up at the end. Yeah. And you're like, what the fucking hell's going on? Do you know what I mean? Ferox doesn't really, it kind of leads up to the tit-hanging scene. Um... But yeah, I don't hear it, and I actually think if you were to ask me which one I prefer, I think I prefer Ferox. Oh, Jesus Christ, no, Baz, no! Yeah, yeah, weirdly. No, I'm not saying it's a fucking good film. I just... I was really disgusted by Cannibal Holocaust. I yeah, hate I that film. That. Yeah, I understand really, that. And I don't hate this. There's... The kind of daftness of the story that's in this endears me to it slightly, if that makes sense. It... it it's it's kind of what I fucking complain about all the time when you go on about all these 80s things that you love, like pieces of that shite, just a shite story. The shite story in this, I think, detracts away from just the nasty, horrible cannibal animal yeah. killing shit, do you know what I mean? I know and what you get, mean, yeah. Gives it a kind of vaguely comedic feel. Um, yeah, I think that's about it, really. <laughs> um, but while you were uh, chatting, I, I did a bit of uh, quick checking up, and yes... Uh, Lindsay did do well he actually did two Cannibal movies before making Cannibal Ferox um, the same year as Cannibal Holocaust he released a movie called Eaten Alive which is actually fairly tame on the, the cannibal side of things even though the name kind of convinces you otherwise um, and the first one he did was in 1972 which is called Man from Deep River which I should know because I actually own it Um but yeah, that was that's widely considered as the first cannibal subgenre Italian horror movie. Whether or not those ones before it, that's that's the one. Uh, well, let me give you some facts as listed on IMDb, which I think are absolutely fucking amazing. Um, well, for one, he used the same music as he did in Eaten Alive to make uh, Cannibal Ferox. This is exactly the same score, which makes me wonder how quick. Uh, kind of impulse it was to make the movie I would imagine that caused Holocaust creating such a, a buzz he probably jumped into gear and did this movie pretty quick and didn't have enough time to secure new music etc so he just used that again um, so uh, there's a brilliant one here you are going to, that's probably one of my favourite Hit me up, Daddyo. Here we go. Although, <coughs> although the tagline for the initial the initial USA release was they raped and killed his sister while he watched helplessly. Now it's his turn to make them die slowly. Nothing like this happens in the movie. <laughs> Is that right enough? Yeah, that was the tagline for the movie. Nothing, nothing like that happens in the movie. 
That is fucking amazing, Brian. I'm going to say I like that a lot. It's it's this. It's, I, I keep. I, I think I've spoken about it before with you. I, I've done it on other shows, certainly. It was just this. Like there was this weird period in the seventies, especially with Italian movies, and it kind of kind of festered into the eighties slightly, where they would just do anything to sell a fucking movie. They would lie through their teeth. They would put images on the the, the front of you know, like posters and front covers which didn't represent the movie at all with taglines that had nothing to do with the movie just to get people to check it out and this was this was one of them. This was the fact I was wanting to talk about with the boar. So around 30 minutes into the movie when filming the death of the wild boar Giovanni Lombardo Radice who was the actor that was trapped in with the boar nearly, uh, nearly severed the hand of his double. Right? So, although Radice refused to kill the pig himself, a shot of so, Radice... So, this is the boy that jumps into the thing to yep. kill the pig? Yeah. So, this is great, though. Although Radice refused to kill the pig, and infamously, apparently, had a huge argument with the director, uh, Lindsay, saying, I'm not going to kill this pig. You can't make me kill this animal. And this went on backwards and forwards. So, it was eventually arranged that, like, he stunt the will do it. So, although Radice refused to kill the pig himself, a shot of Radice slicing the knife downward was needed to show that his character killed the pig. And it's put in brackets here, the shots of the pig's death were later spliced in between. To create blood foot spatter from the shot, Radice's double, who actually killed the pig for the film, was to hold a bowl of fake blood, which Radice would then stab. However, the double held the bowl from the bottom, and when Radice stabbed the bowl, the knife went through and cut the double's hand badly. Because of the accident, Radice saw himself as possibly avenging the pig's death. Wow. I'm fairly sure the stunt double didn't feel that way. <laughs> oh, this fucking movie, man, honestly. Uh, I don't really have that much to, to kind of add on at all. Oh, here you go, you were talking about Robert De Niro. There is a yeah. funny fact about Robert De Niro. <laughs> in this film? Yeah, we, oh, fucking hell, we'd hear this. Like Cannibal Holocaust in 1980, this movie contains several actual animal killings. Though his character kills an animal in the film, Giovanni Lombardo Redi strongly objected to the animal killing and refused to participate in them. A double had to be used. Director Umberto Lenzi tried to convince Redis to do so by telling him De Niro would do it, and Redis responded, De Niro would kick... <laughs> Tenero would kick your ass all the way back to Rome, which is slightly racist, but uh, yeah, there you go. So De Niro was mentioned. It was never in the movie, but um, and that's probably the biggest crime of Cannibal Ferox is that you know it never. The biggest crime of Cannibal Ferox is it isn't Cannibal Holocaust. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know. I know from your point what you're. I know exactly what you're saying, and I had a sneaky suspicion you would have a lot more of a fun time with Ferox. I'd said to you before. It's it's like which makes me wonder how much you're going to enjoy Inferno. I think you're probably going to enjoy Inferno a bit more than I suspect you are. Mm-hmm. Um, Ferox to me is the is the kind of flashier remake where everything isn't as good. <laughs> so you know, it's the story's more convoluted. It's got more things going. It's it's kind of it's kind of it feels more international than than Holocaust does. Um, there's more cast in it. Um, there's you know more story going on. There's more animal violence, but it doesn't 
connect on any level like Holocaust does. It doesn't have that. There's, all, there's also fewer porn stars trying to go straight in it. There's fewer. <laughs> this is also true. It's um, disappointing. It, it just for me, it has a couple of really interesting set pieces. The animal violence in here, whereas animal violence in Holocaust is there to offset the human, the fake human violence to make you think it's real. That's not the same in this movie. It's in the movie because Holocaust had it, so we need to have it. Um, And it lingers too long to be as effective as Holocaust. Um, And most of it's animal and animal violence, and it's staged as well, which is the the bit that I. If it's like. I've seen plenty of documentaries with fucking David Attenborough talking while an animal kills another animal. And I understand that, but when you've put in a position where you're forcing a mongoose and a, a snake to fight and then filming it for... Aye, some... I mean, the mongoose is fucking tied up. Yeah, it's fucking, you know what I mean? It's That's not nature. That's, you know, that's perverse. Um, and this movie does that a lot. Um, the dubbing is really bad in this movie. And oh. we will cover quite a lot of, especially when we do the Giallo stuff, we will cover movies which are pretty poorly dubbed and pieces is poorly dubbed this makes pieces look look excellently dubbed mm. it's just really 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 poorly done and it's been done really quick and the whole movie was done really quick it's just filmed on a, a quick time scale to get out to capitalize on this what was perceived as being a, a kind of blossoming subgenre uh, within horror which never really reached the heights of the the movie it tries to emulate um yeah Umberto Lindsay is a bit of a hack. The guy has made some incredible movies. This is not one of them. Um, is it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like some of his like some of his giallo stuff um, is you know I, I would say maybe not necessarily the greatest ever made, but it's up there with some of the you know like he did a movie called Seven Bloodstained Orchids, which I think is a is a great fucking movie, um, and that's that came out right in the heart of the the kind of giallo. I quite like So Sweet, So Perverse. I think that's a pretty cool book as uh, book. Listen to me, uh, it's a pretty cool film as well. Spasmo is a movie that I have a lot of time for. I think that's a once again another pretty cool giallo movie. So he had his moments. I think the Man from Deep River is actually a pretty good cannibal movie as well. Um, I, I quite like Nightmare City for all my sins, um, and uh, the guy, the guy's quantity of movies was ridiculous. Like a lot of these Italian directors of the time, they would make everything. Like they would, they would go from like when you were like an Italian director in the sixties and seventies and eighties, you did spaghetti westerns, you did comedies, you did dramas, you did action movies, you did giallo, you did horror because they were all just working and the guy's output of movies was on average about three to four a year, every year. Um, pretty much up until he stopped in 1992. So, just a huge, huge turnaround in movies. So, I, I mean, when you get to that, you're, you're going to have quite a few duff movies. Um, but I think, for the most part, uh, this one's not one of his better ones. He did do good ones. It just, to me... It, there's nothing I can get upset about or offended by. It just, it's just not as good as the movie it should have been. Um, but the movie it should have been would have been so fucking perverse that you would have fucking thrown up <laughs> in your hangover state. So I'm quite, uh-huh. kind of glad. I'm kind of glad it wasn't. So, yeah, that's uh, that's Ferox. Um, now, what we're going to do for these reviews, Baz, is we're going to bring back our good old buddy. Um, the grading system um, oh, to right. accompany all the movies because I'm genuinely 
quite interested about where the gradient's going to lie between this movie, between Ravenous and between Green Inferno. So, before I attribute a grade to you, sir, I will ask you to attribute a grade to this movie. For the listeners out there, you will remember it's Netflix grades over on the podcast under the stairs. So one has hated it, two has didn't like it, three has liked it, five has really liked it, and five uh, has loved it. Um, Baz, mm-hmm. where do you come in with Cannibal Ferox? So I didn't realise we were going to have to do this. Um, Read the ratings to me again. Right, so one has hated it. Right, I didn't hate it. Right, two is didn't like it. Right. Three is liked it. Four is really liked yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, let's, we don't need any further. <laughs> um, I think... I think I'm going to give it a two and a half. Cool. Between didn't like it and liked it, they're, they're, yeah. I couldn't say I liked this film. Yeah. But um, I also didn't hate either kind of thing. I think two and a half is probably. A I would probably give the same grade to be honest with you. I'd come in as a two and a half. I didn't dislike it. I, I would be stretching it if I said that I really liked it though, or liked yeah. it. It's somewhere in between. So, right, that's our first movie review done. Oh, two Get left. Boom. We are jumping forward quite some decades, and we're going to talk about a, a movie which is, I still think, criminally underseen. Um, considering the names that are attached to it I, I, I always kind of thought that this movie was going to be the one in the late 90s that we're going to kick off but I think and we'll talk about it in more detail later on about what sort of movie it is and when it came out and why it probably did just get stifled because of the genre it was in to what was actually working in horror at the time. Um, but we are going to take a short break. You're going to hear promos for shows that, that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for our second movie review. It's Ravenous from 1999. Myself and the Baz will be returning right after this break to discuss it, right after this. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood. to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know. I suspect murder. Sergeant, I've already In the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you? That can stand by and see your own child slaughtered. You are the fool, Mr. Harry. You're liars. You are despicable little liars. Morrison existed, we would know. 
I suspect none did. She was bugged. You were the fool, Mr. Howard. Where is Rowan Morrison? Oh, my God! And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for this movie review for Basby Horror 29. This is The Wicker Man from 1973, directed by Robin Hardy, based on the screenplay by Anthony Schaefer. This movie stars Edward Woodward, Christopher Lee, Diane Clento, uh, Britt Eklund, Ingrid Pitt, uh, Lindsay Kemp, Russell Waters, Aubrey Morris, Irene Sunters, Walter Carr, Ian Campbell, lots of other folk are in this movie. Synopsis is listed on IMDb. A police sergeant is sent to a Scottish island village in search of a missing girl whom the Tim's folk claim never existed. Stranger still are the rights that take place there. Now, Robin Hardy, when he made this movie, <clears throat> up to the point he died, claimed that this was never meant to be a horror movie. Um, he described it as a kind of musical drama, is, uh, is how he put it forward. Um, very similar to how Wilfer, uh, William Friedkin says that The Exorcist is not a horror movie, it's a drama. A family drama. Um, William Friedkin can fuck off. Yeah, that's this is the, like legitimately that's what he says. He says that it's not a, it's not a, a horror movie at all. It's a family drama that just incidentally happens to be one of the most terrifying movies ever fucking made. Um, yeah. And yeah, so Robin Robin Hardy was very quick to stress that he doesn't think this. Ironically enough, as endings of movies go, The Wicker Man is one movie. Where the one of several movies, but the, the ending of this one is completely in the the pop culture. I mean, you you you've never seen the Wicker Man before out there. The chances are you still know the ending without seeing the movie. Um, it's iconic. It, it tends to feature quite high on a lot of those top ten horror endings of all time. You know, the, the Wicker Man is in there. It's always in the mix. It is a a truly jarring ending that we're going to get into. Um, it's in my top ten horror movies of all time. I fucking love this movie. The first time I saw this movie, I, I was I was dumbfounded. I couldn't speak. My my jaw was on the floor, and I was just staring at the screen, waiting for an after credit sequence, waiting for Samuel L. Jackson to come out to say that Edward Woodward had been picked up by the Avengers. Um, <laughs> Incidentally, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, I, yeah is, I, and every time I watch this movie, the ending hits me with exactly this. And I know it's coming, but every single time when the credits roll, I, I, I just wanted, I just want to see something else. Um, just this one little thing, but that's that's the power of cinema. Um, what I'm really looking forward to in this one is, I think this might be the first movie for Baz V Horror we've ever covered with Christopher Lee. Um, can't think of any others. No, we did one recently, did we not? Because I was banging on about it. With Christopher Lee? Yeah. Um, did we? Was he not in one of the ones for Baz v. Halloween this year? No. <laughs> no, I think. Did you not say one of them looked like Christopher Lee? Is Inci- that maybe what it is? Yeah. Incidentally, though, I, I don't think we have. I think this is the first one we've covered. This is Christopher Lee's favourite role of all the acting he did was uh, Lord Summer Isle. This is his favourite, favourite performance. It is the one that he... 
we always went back to where he said that you know it's his favourite movie that he ever starred in and his favourite performance um, this is also the one that really puts Edward Woodward on the map um, I think he's fucking phenomenal in this as well I'm really looking forward to seeing what you think of him um, and then Edward Woodward would obviously go on and do things like the Equaliser in the UK and, and, and be better known for that but before that he was in The Wicker Man Baz I have talked enough people are sick of me they're like come on let the Baz talk and I'm just teasing them now I'm just like in a second kids don't make me turn this car around um, but it's, t- it's time to get into this Um the public picked the Wicker Man. You watched the Wicker Man. Let the people out there know what you, the Baz, made of 1973's The Wicker Man. Certainly, Sheldunk. Um, yeah, so The Wicker Man. As you see, The Wicker Man won the public vote. Um, and as I was explaining earlier on, I went out and I purchased myself a shiny new Blu-ray copy. Um, which is billed as The Wicker Man, the final cut and what dismayed me somewhat when it arrived is there's actually three versions of the film <laughs> in this package and th- this does go um, towards what I'm saying about the, the package and this, this uh, set that come from Studio Canal you, we get the final cut, you also get the UK theatrical cut mm-hmm. and the director's cut which is an audio commentary but I, I fucking refuse to listen to audio commentaries um, so yeah you get three different versions of the film and on top of that there, there's three discs in my set mm-hmm. and I assumed that was the three films it's not the third disc is actually the soundtrack yep. the CD soundtrack from the film as well so it's the absolute mutts nuts in terms of I don't normally get excited about these things but there's all sorts of fan featurettes and there's a documentary by Mark Kermode about yeah. the making of the movie and all this kind of stuff I've not watched any of that stuff I have to say but I, I will um, because like or dislike the film it's a very iconic film obviously um, Kermode's a huge I, fan of this movie yeah. like massive fan of this movie the documentary that he did for it is brilliant so yeah well, I mean, I, even if I find even if I don't like films, sometimes the story behind the film mm-hmm. can be very interesting if done well. And I'm sure Kermode will have done it well, so I'm looking forward to that as well. So yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant package. So if you are looking for a to get a copy of The Wicker Man or get a newer copy or whatever, I could not recommend this one highly enough. Um, so the first decision Duncan and I had to make was what version were we going to go for um, and you decided to plump for this thing that is referred to as the final cut yeah, um, which features some restored never before seen footage mm-hmm. um, in it now like we mentioned the Big Bang Theory earlier on the Big Bang Theory is a kind of running joke in it that they're always going to the movies to see like, the Indiana Jones the director's cut with seven seconds of extra footage yeah. you know, that, <laughs> that explains the submarine bit and all that kind of stuff um, and I'm always about like, oh here we fucking go because I've yet to see a fucking film where the extra footage was any good it was cut out for a fucking reason yeah um Having never seen any other version of The Wicker Man, I cannot comment on whether or not it adds to the film or not. The, the debate rages um, on, Baz. Like, there yeah, are forums sure and does. forums of, of pages yeah. where people bicker about what is the best version of The Wicker Man to watch. And yeah. I picked the final cut purely because I think of all the releases, I think this one might be the second shortest um, overall. I yeah, yeah I was actually cut. looking. I've got my I've got my glegs on here to read this. Um, Your glegs. You might want to explain that to the the American listeners. 
uh, is my reading glasses, folks. <laughs> uh, and and I, I, while I'm on that, big shout out to Mental Rachel Blair from Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you noticed when we d- I did my uh, my unboxing live Facebook thing a while back. Remember when Ricky um, yes. and, and we West and Ferozzi had sent me some gifts through and I did a little live unboxing and my son appeared in it very briefly. He was only a few days old at that point. Mm-hmm. And I happened to troll back through the comments at a later date and <laughs> Rachel Blair, who's one of our listeners from Northern Ireland, had come on and commented basically in the middle of the fucking night think she was slightly drunk because there was an apology <laughs> comment came the next morning. But um, she basically made a comment about, and here come the glegs, because basically there's a bit where I have to put my glasses right. on. And she says something like, high five fellow specky here. Right? <laughs> Which I think translated from the Northern Irish is um, kind of greetings my fellow spectacle wearing prostitute. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> thanks for that, Rachel Hen. Thanks. Um, yes, yeah, so I've got my reading glasses on here. Yeah, the final cut is 94 minutes. The theatrical one was 87, and the director's cut's 102. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, I mean, I'm assuming there must be bits that have been cut out of this and bits added into it as well, but we yeah, went for the final cut. I think it's the one that, I think, is the one that most fits cohesively with some of the extra footage without being just like this is all the footage look at all the footage which yeah. like you say is sometimes cut for a reason the, incidentally the theatrical cut see when that was released it was released as part of a double bill with Don't Look Now which is also in my top 10 horror movies of all time and I just imagine that you, you would want to kill yourself after watching both of those that's two movies that have the most jaw dropping what the fuck did I just see endings in cinema history? And they just put them together. There was no respite for audiences back then. Fair play. Yeah. I I can't comment on that other movie at all. Have you never <laughs> seen Don't Look? That may be a future one. It never fails to amuse me the surprise in your voice, Duncan, when I tell you I've not I know, seen the film. I know, I need to... It's like, a, it's, it's like one of those... It's, it's like a nervous tick that I get, like a, like a, a, a reflex <laughs> reaction. You know, like when the doctor hits your knee with a, a hammer to test your reflexes? Um, it's like that. Whenever I hear something like that, my instant response is to, to cry out in disbelief, um, and then you correct me rightly so, and then I'm like, that. yeah, Baz has never... Of course Baz has never seen Don't Look Now. That's a, that's a definite... Real sex scene in that movie, though, Baz. Real sex scene in that movie. Well, Big that, Donald that's... Sutherland gets it on! That's ticking my boxes. Um... <laughs> One anyway. thing it does state on, on the, the case, the, the thing is that the the restored footage, um, I, basically, I, I think it was almost like kind of lost footage, and then mm-hmm. they found a copy that still had it in it, but it was in really bad shape. Is the, the, the additional scenes in the final cut are noticeably... I had asked you, was it worth buying the Blu-ray of this movie, or... You know, was the conversion not really any good? Because if not, I was just going to spend the seven quid. And you said, no, no, I've got the Blu-ray. The conversion's really good. I would say it's worth it if you don't mind spending the money. So I got the Blu-ray. And you're absolutely right. For a film of this age, mm-hmm. the Blu-ray sequences in it are fucking great. It looks brilliant. Um, but some of the scenes look dreadful. Rough. Yeah, rough. They're and really, really they're, they're from degraded film. Yeah, exactly. So they have stayed, they've done their best with it, but it's noticeable the difference between the additional added um, scenes and the main film. Um, but it, it, no, I thought, oh, that's going to piss me off. It actually didn't. Um, I found myself, I'd be watching it for a couple of minutes before I went, oh, this is one of the added scenes. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, diving into the movie. So I fired this bad boy up at long fucking last. <laughs> uh, I got to watch The Wicker Man. Um, it opens, it tells us it's Sunday the 29th of April, 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, and it opened out, I, I think possibly the opening scene in this is one of the added ones. It opens basically with Equalizer at church. <laughs> Well, once again, Edward Woodward uh, played the Equalizer in the original TV show, just in case you yeah. don't get that reference. And he is, it's the only other thing I've ever seen Edward Woodward in. I'm very familiar with the guy because I loved the Equalizer when I was a kid. Um, but I've never seen him in anything else, so mm-hmm. I just know him as the Equalizer. He's, he's noticeably younger than this, obviously. He was like a grey haired old man in the Equalizer mm-hmm. um, who looked fuck all at Denzel Washington, I have to say. <laughs> Um, but he's a, he's a young buck in this movie, and, he, and he's in church. He's a God-fearing Christian man. Oh, yes. And I've written here, the Equalizer is in church, and he looks young as fuck. <laughs> um, and he's up there at church. He's giving a reading and all this about the Last Supper, and he's taking communion. Um, and then I've written here, I think he's trying to be Scottish. Because <laughs> Woodward's not Scottish. No, he's best not. Man, all he, he was English. He was English. No, he's English, yeah, yeah. Um, now... People had commented when, when the Wicker Man won that what would Baz make of the accents. I've got to say, I think 95% of the time Woodward does not a bad fucking impression of a Scotsman. He's, he's better than a lot of Scottish actors, Scottish ones, including yes. um, a certain Gerard Butler that Baz did earlier on. His yeah. Scottish accent's atrocious. <laughs> he is in Scottish. And the country Paisley. Do you know what I think I may have met him numerous times over the years? Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard that Gerard Butler used to be the barman in a pub called the Rock Garden in Queen Street in Glasgow. He was a he was a barman before he yep. was a, I think he was a legal clerk or something as well. Uh-huh, and I'm sure was. I was told it was in the Rock Garden, which is across from the Army Recruiting Offices in Queen Street in Glasgow. Uh-huh. And that was my boozer of choice when I was a young student man. Mm. We were in there about four or five times a fucking week when I was a student at college in Glasgow. Um, and it, it, with the ages and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure that would have been the time he was working in there. So I'm fairly sure. He served you a Gerard pint. Butler's poured me a pint. There you go. Anyway, he's not in this film though. <laughs> um, and then I've written here that I think this might be one of the added scenes because it looks quite dated. Um, because then the next one, basically, we Woodward goes and gets on a flying boat that's made from Lego. <laughs> the worst like flying boat in the fucking world man um, and off he goes and and it's beautiful the, you know the, the rendering is amazing and I, I, you know me young, I'm not one of these ones that gets fucking wound up about high definition in that yeah. but for a film that was made in 1973 it looks fucking amazing yeah. and I then thought alright that opening scene must be one of the additional ones because it was a wee bit ropey looking um, so he's on his wee Lego boat and we're going to the sort of opening credits well, during which I was hugely offended Uh-oh. because for a film that's set in fucking Scotland they used Northumbrian pipes <laughs> yeah, I'm an Argyle man Duncan <laughs> that's akin to raping my maw <laughs> I mean somebody fingered my granny you don't make set a film in Scotland and then fucking play Northumbrian pipes yeah, fucking ignorant Sassanac bastards. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, 
since I stopped spitting at my telly, <laughs> I um, I did note that there's some beautiful footage at this point. Like obviously he's flying his wee flying boat to the island that we would then find out. Um, and there's some amazing aerial shots of Scotland and the kind of the west coast and the islands and stuff like that. Um, if anybody's familiar with the geography of Scotland, the east coast is very kind of barren and there's very few islands off the east coast of Scotland, but the whole of the west coast is basically yeah. fucking islands. Um, and there was some really quite cool folk music on it. I'm really looking forward to actually getting the CD soundtrack ripped and put on my iPod. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know I like folk music. You um, do indeed. Possibly a bit dated for my taste, but it fits well with the film. Um, I was really enjoying that. Um, so then he lands his wee Lego plane at the, a wee <laughs> island called Summer Isle. Mm-hmm. Um... He sort of lands in the harbour, if you like. Um, the locals will not help him ashore. They're frankly just rude. Um, and, and he's got his, his wee megaphone, his wee loud hailer thing out, going like, I'm a policeman! Um, he tells them he's there to investigate a report he's had of a missing child. Yeah. Eventually one of them reneges and then sort of ferries him across onto the, the jetty, onto the pier kind of thing. Um and he shows them a picture which had been sent to him anonymously of this wee girl. Um, these shifty-looking local guys say that they've never seen her. Um, and it then, turn- well, I've written here it turns out the letter is from the local postmistress. I don't think that's the case. I mm-hmm. think they realise that the person they're talking about in the letter is the local postmistress. Yeah. So they equalise their heads away up there um, to see the postmistress. And he's, he's very smart, uh, Scottish polis suit on and all that kind of thing. He's, he's completely lacking the trench coat, which became his fucking his trademark look in the equaliser yeah. as it was. Um, he's also not armed to the teeth either. Um, I'd imagine he has a truncheon. Um, <laughs> he heads up at the post office and anyway, we see the postmistress, um, who I'm pretty sure was in Take the High Road. <laughs> You're going to, once again, all these references are going to go over yeah. the top of America. What was Take the High Road, Baz? It was a soap opera set in Scotland. It was the first... Actually, it wasn't. It was the second Scottish soap opera. What was the first? Um, uh, the first, believe it now, this is this is me showing my age. The first one was one called Garnock Way. All right. And in the very early days of Take the High Road, a couple of characters from Garnock Way were in it. Oh. Mind blown, eh? <laughs> Honest, never seen a fucking horror movie, but I can give you a kind of chronological fucking break of <laughs> Scottish soap operas, thanks to my delightful mother. Um, yeah, so take the high road. Anyway, it was an old uh, Scottish soap opera. It, it kind of went off the air about ten years ago. I think in the end they changed the name to High Road. Mm-hmm. I think they took the obviously take the high road is from the the song Take the High Road to Loch Lomond. Um, and it was filmed on location on the banks of Loch Lomond in a wee uh, village called Luss, which I pass at least once a month when I go around the road to Danoon, you pass by Luss. Ah. Um, so anyway, I'm pretty sure the actress who played the postmistress was in that, but in fairness, most Scottish actors and actresses of that age group wouldn't take the high road as well. So. Yeah. Um, she kind of denies that the girl in the photograph is her daughter, she then introduces him to her daughter Myrtle, who is younger than the girl in the photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, she's through the back, so it's like one of those very kind of old-fashioned Scottish shops where 
the shop was basically the room at the front of somebody's house. Mm-hmm. So you went into that, and then you could peek through the back door of the shop and see people sitting in their living room. There was about three shops like that in Dunoon when I was a kid. Um, so anyway, I'm being the policeman. He can go wherever he fucking wants because it was the seventies, and policemen could do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he sauntered us through. The wee lassie is drawing a hare. Ah, you look at one of those massive fucking rabbits. Um, and everybody, or, or everybody I've seen up to this point, is fairly obsessed with hairs. They're a recurring visual theme in this movie. Um, and then Woodward starts questioning the wee girl when her mum's not there. Um, and she says she knows Rowan, who's the missing girl. Um, but she then says that Rowan's a hare. Which is kind of fucking weird. Um, after this, uh, Woodward heads off to the pub, which is called the Green Man Inn. Mm-hmm. Which, for anybody that knows anything about kind of pagan religions, that the Green Man is a famous kind of symbol uh, of like fertility and mm-hmm. earth and stuff like that, and a lot of very old um, stonework in Scotland and Ireland and places like that feature the image of the Green Man. Um, if you ever go to the famous Roslyn Chapel, it's fucking covered in the cunt. He's everywhere. <laughs> Literally, you can't turn around with him leering at you at some fucking pillar thing. <laughs> Creepy looking wee dick. Sometimes you get a wee worm coming out of his nose. Prick. Anyway, um, yeah, so the Green Man Inn is, is the local pub and hostelry at Slash Hotel, and it is owned by what can only be described as a predatory homosexual man. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who, despite being um, an, an aggressive gay man, um, has fathered Britt Eklund. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of weird. Well, I think that's Britt Eklund, isn't it? Willow. Uh, Willow's played by... Uh, yeah, that's Britt Eklund, yeah. Yeah, I knew it was. Um, again, Britt Eklund... I'm, I've heard of Britt Eklund. I've probably seen her in umpteen fucking movies like when I was young and stuff like that, but I couldn't actually have picked her out a fucking lineup before I watched this film. But basically, she's the fucking eye candy in this. So we've got the the, the inn owner and his daughter, Willow. Yeah, she's, um, du- she's dubbed in this movie as well because Britt Eklund's Swedish. Yes, I actually found that out oh, um, right. during the the course. I think, but I think I jumped onto Wikipedia to make sure it was Britt Eklund that was her character. I knew she was in the movie. And I thought, I think that's her. And I think I jumped on the end and I, I clocked a little line that said, yeah, all her uh, lines were dubbed. I've got to say, the, dub, the dubbing's quite good. It's fucking amazing when you consider um, some of the the Italian cannibal movies that we've watched, Baz, where the dubbing is shite. Yeah, And it, exactly. they, this movie predates those movies by, like, yeah. almost a decade. <laughs> because had I not seen that, I, I would never have fucking known. Mm-hmm. Um... So yeah, and at this point, then I also noticed all of the children are named after trees. Mm-hmm. There's a very heavy pagan vibe going on. Oh yes. Um, and yeah, and then in the back room of the pub, the Corries shite cousins are having a wee sing song. <laughs> the Corries. Now, <laughs> once again, for our colonial cousins, the Corries are a Scot, a very famous Scottish folk duo. My dad um, used to be obsessed with the Corries, honestly. Yeah, oh I, I am actually quite fond of the Corries as well, um, despite their Jacobite leanings. Um, <laughs> the Corries, don't talk about politics. Um, uh, despite their Jacobite, the Jacob, uh, the Jacobean uprising of like 300 years ago. 
Yes. We don't uh, hold a grudge in Scotland, Baz, do we? Fucking singing about it. <laughs> Bend the knee, you kilted bastards. Right. Um, no, the, the Corries are probably, realistically, in the last 50 years, the Corries have probably done more to keep Scottish folk music alive than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're talking about Scottish folk music, I'm not talking about sort of Scottish country dancing type music, you know, that traditional style. Like the the, the sung and, and spoken Scottish music, um, the, the Corries really kept that alive and kept it popular, uh, if you like, in the country. And they deserve a lot of props for that. Mm-hmm. Tragically, they're not in this film, like I say, it's their shite poor cousins. Um, they're having a wee bit of a sing-song in the back. And all the locals are joining in. It's like the world's weirdest karaoke, has got to be said. And they're singing a song that could probably best be described as body. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? B-A-W-D-Y. Yep. It's very slightly risky. Oh, yeah. But for the early 1970s, folk probably wanked themselves blind to that. <laughs> um, then there's a very weird bit where the frankly stunning Brit Eklund does this weird early 70s version of twerking <laughs> with an enormous, ugly, ugly, hairy man. Mm-hmm. Um, she's basically up there rubbing the cleft of her arse, up and doing this guy's groin, while an oddly homosexual father is watching approvingly from behind the bar. Oh, mon new Brithead. What are you fucking playing at? You know what I mean? Pub full of them. Yeah, and you pick that. Granted, he's under 70, which only about 10% of the assembled throng are. Do you know what I mean? But really, you could bang Woodward. Rub yourself up and down Woodward. He, now, I come from a small town. I know what it's like when somebody new moves into that town. Everybody's like a dog with two dicks around them. Cause it's, 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 it's new blood for the gene pool. You know what I mean? So you're not frightened that there's a chance you're fingering your second cousin and you just don't fucking know. Because <laughs> that nearly happened to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm losing it. God, we're only 10 minutes into this film yet. Right. Uh, Brit does a weird 70s twerking, right? The equaliser. (laughs) But a typical 70s cop just thinks he's in charge of the whole fucking world. So he completely interrupts the wee sing-song to pass this photo. And behind the bar and all that banging on the bar, right, everybody pay attention to me. I'm from the mainland. (laughs) And he passes around the photograph and everybody again claims that nobody's seen her. Um, And then the camera kind of pans over a series of photographs on the back wall, which are quite important. Um, And they kind of depict scenes from like a harvest festival. It's obviously a local event that happens kind of yearly. All of them, sorry, excuse me, all of them uh, feature a kind of young girl in the middle. Um, Like where we live, don't we have a gala day and you have the gala day queen who's Mm -hmm. like... Kind of like a homecoming queen for our American kind of listeners. Um, so it appears that they have a, a kind of young female who's the representative on the day. Um, and the one from 1972, which is the previous year, um, is missing. Um, and you can see like the hook in the very obvious fucking square where it used to be, just in yeah. case you didn't catch on. <laughs> um, the Equalizer then eats a fucking manky looking dinner. And a wee bit by this point has obviously 
her genetics are fucking kicking in by this point. Um, and her pheromones, the fresh pheromones wafting after equaliser <laughs> obviously got to her. And she's cast aside the fucking fryer tuck looking bastard. <laughs> she was dry humping in the bar. And she's basically through pester and equaliser while he's on dinner and she basically does everything but rubber fanny in his face. <laughs> um, right. I'm doing alright at this point. Then shit starts to get a little bit weird. <laughs> Equalizer goes for a walk out onto the front lawn mm-hmm. and it's just full of cunts riding everywhere. Yep. <laughs> Shagging everywhere. And there's a weird kind of stop motion camera thing going on mm-hmm. which was irritating at best. You know what I mean? Had I been about, you know, had I watched this in the early 70s and I was trying to have a wee quick one after this. Oh, God. That God. stop motion thing would have thrown me off my stride down. <laughs> This so that, seems that's like a rookie mistake. That this seems like early early day dogging, isn't it? Really, it is. It is only because their cars were so bad in those days. <laughs> they just basically grew and did it on the grass. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what, the weirdest thing is the policeman. Oh, I thought you were going to say you'd seen something like this before, Buzz. I hey. thought you were going to see. I thought you were going to say the weirdest thing is, Duncan. I've come across a scene like this. <laughs> no, no, so no, I was no, like, no. what the? F- <laughs> no, no, um, no. Basically, Woodward has arrived in this island and going through it like a fucking Gestapo door to door raid in the Channel Islands. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah, he ha- happily saunters through this field of carnal lust that has unfolded before him. It doesn't, but well, he looks quizzically at them. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any attempt to arrest any of them for like public indecency. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, eh, where are we? Sorry, <laughs> I've gone off too quick tonight, Duncan. You have. I peaked, I peaked too early, big man. The sweat <laughs> is rolling out me here. Um, right, so they're all right. There's others watering grave plots. Uh-huh. And then there's a naked bird crying over a tombstone. It's all very weird. And the weirdest bit is that Big Woodward just decides to go back to bed. (laughs) At this point, then, we now get another additional scene, which I think is pretty obvious from the the quality of the film. And I've written here because I think it's the first appearance of the character, but I think in the the normal film he appears much later. It's basically Lord Summerisle Mm -hmm. appears here. Uh, I've, written, I've called him the kilt-wearing lord. Oh. And it, it's quite a seedy scene because he basically has brought this post-pubescent teen with him. Yeah. To shag Brit Eklund. Mm-hmm. Who appears, as well as being barmaid, is responsible for deflowering every fucking teenage boy in the village. Do you know what? Now I came for a wee town, Duncan. <laughs> I came for a wee town in Argyle, don't <laughs> I mean? And, uh, I mean, if we had something like that in that town, I don't know what I would have done. I really don't. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really quite weird. And fucking, what turns out to be Lord Summer Island, he's waxing on quite lyrically about Afro, the sacrifice to Aphrodite and all this kind of stuff. And the whole scene is bookended by two scenes of the Corrie's shite cousins playing a very bad song in the bar. It's weird as fuck. The Equalizers then having a wee bit of a prey 
mm-hmm. at his bed like a child. Do you know what I mean? Like kids kneel at the side of the bed and yeah. that he's, he's praying like that. Look, come on, Edward. You can sell up in bed, big man. I'm sure the big fella upstairs will be all right with that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and through the water, you can basically hear fucking Britt Eklund riding this 14-year-old kid. It's the weirdest scene ever. I've got to say. Blew my mind. <laughs> and slightly aroused me. Oh, um, Baz, no. Right. And then it just goes from bad to worse because the next day he heads up to the school. No, it's the 70s. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the 70s in Britain. <laughs> right. Schools were a dangerous, dangerous place for children in the 70s in Britain. Uh-huh. Right. A good day was when your PE teacher didn't try to finger you. Oh, Do you know for what fuck's I mean? sake, but... <laughs> That was a good day when I was at school. You know what I mean? Any day you go home unmolested by a teacher, you'd want to fucking watch. You know what I mean? Do the police are turning up. You know what's like slightly, like slightly more sinister now is at that time... Um, if Jim will fix it was coming by your school or something, that was seen as something to celebrate. And yeah, that memory's been tarnished, Baz. Even oh, honestly, don't. I've blocked the whole lot out. <laughs> I feel like you I was born a year ago. You never anyway. met Savile, did you? <laughs> no, 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 I didn't, thankfully. I thought he was great when I was a kid. Yeah. I thought yeah. he was a fucking nonce. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, right. So on the way up to the school, he witnesses a maypole ceremony. Um... Which I didn't really think they had in Scotland. I thought the Maypole thing was much more of an English thing. So did I. Shite Morris dancing cunts. Yeah. With their bells on their legs and all that. There's a fucking shite folk fucking scene, isn't it? Morris dancing. I don't get it. That's just fucking crap. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> first company I worked for when I graduated, a, a, a guy who was a good, good friend of mine, um, Trasler, we've lost touch over the years, but he was a great friend of mine, Andy Richards, and Andy was English, and he used to wind me up if it had been Scottish, and I would wind him up if it had been English, and the line I always led with was, Andy, our women dance naked, uh, no they don't, they dance barefoot <laughs> over drawn swords, yep. you lot tie pig's bladders to your knees and fucking bells on your ankles, fuck off, <laughs> right? Anyway, for those that don't know, a maypole ceremony is like you have a big pole in the garden with kind of ribbons coming down from the top of the pole and people hold them at the bottom and dance around and with gay abandon. With gay abandon. With gay abandon. Um, and they, you, know, you kind of intertwine all of the the ribbons round the, to create a pattern down the pole and this is this maypole and it's, I believe it's a fertility type thing. Uh, like symbol. Um... But like I say, I, I was fairly sure that was more of an English tradition. But we'll, we'll give them a, we'll cut them a bit of slack. Uh-huh. Um, but there's lots of singing, you know. And, and then he goes into the classroom, and the teacher is essentially telling all the pupils that the maypole represents the cock. <laughs> <laughs> and I've written here the equaliser is appalled, <laughs> and he is. Oh, he's quite up in arms. Um, obviously, Mr. Woodward in this film is a, a, a church-going Presbyterian Scotsman, mm-hmm. uh, much like my much like my parents. And if my parents thought that my, my fucking teacher was telling me, see that big pole out there, I that's a cock. Um, <laughs> this was meant to represent. They would have been fucking appalled as well. Um, so yes, yeah, so he's not very happy about it. Takes the teacher to task over it. She wants him to get to fuck out, basically. 
all of the pupils deny knowing Rowan because he's in there questioning them, but he finds her name in the register. Mm-hmm. Then there's a fucking scene where the teacher basically says she believes that she's not dead, but has returned to nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, there's a kind of comment about the, the local church is no longer used for Christian worship, which just gets right up the fucking equaliser's arse, obviously, because <laughs> a Christian guy. So he goes down to check out the graveyard, and he finds kind of... I've written here the harvest sacrifices. I don't think sacrifice is the right word. You know, when you leave, like an offering. Yes. Harvest tribute. offerings. Ah, oh, like a tribute on the graves, which offends him no end. So he throws them all away, and then he gets some wooden fashions of E cross. And then he confronts a gardener who's planting trees on the graves, which obviously, in normal places, you would be quite offensive. You know, you don't plant anything on top of a grave. Mm-hmm. Um. And he kind of identifies Rowan's grave, and there's a Rowan tree growing from it, which is slightly cliche, I suppose. Uh, the gardener says that she died six or seven months ago. Um, Woodward then heads off to the registrar's office to find, but he can't get a record of Rowan's death. Mm-hmm. He speaks to a photographer who claims that he can't remember if Rowan was the girl in the 1972 photograph. Um, he then heads over to what I've referred to as the Laird's house, the Lord Summer Isle's house. Mm-hmm. On the way, he witnesses a weird ceremony with pregnant women running about naked at some standing stones. He then meets Lord Summer Isle, who it turns out is Count Dooku. <laughs> But with a massively coiffured Buffon hairdo. His hair's amazing in this movie. It is a bit. It is. it is a bit awesome, I've got to say. It looks like a fucking science teacher I used to have. Yeah, it kind of kind of looks a bit like Doc Holliday. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit, but, but less haphazard. Mm-hmm. And much more, I've designed it to look like this, rather than I just go out of bed like this. Um. He then, Count Dooku then tells the equaliser that the women are jumping through the fire up at the standing stones to get pregnant by the fire god. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, where are we going here? And he then kind of recounts the history of the island that basically they've, they've turned their, they turned their back on Christianity during a famine in the kind of 1800s, I think. And his... Summer Isle's grandfather, I think it was, instigated this kind of return to pagan religion mm-hmm. in order to enable the island to bear fruit again. Something like that. Like, yep. there was a kind of, the, the fruit couldn't grow or some fucking thing. So he says, if we go back to, like, the old gods, all oh, your fruit will grow again, right? Woodward is fucking raging at this point. Like, raging. Um, and he, he asks him if he can exhume the girl's body, to which he agrees. So the equaliser and the wee gardener, they dig the thing up. Lo and behold, there's a wee hair in the coffin, rather yeah. than a wee lassie. So he goes and he confronts Lord Summerisle about this, <laughs> who is dressed like a, I've written here, a healing dandy. <laughs> it's a... Uh, a form of Scottish dress that is no longer worn in this country. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, 
I think it was a byproduct of the the kind of corruption of Scottish culture with the likes of Andy Stewart and these kind of guys. Yeah. And, uh, what's his face? Um, oh, I can't remember. It's, it's kind of a romanticised, like caricature of what the think the a Scots looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a really over exaggerated version of it, and it, whilst it does probably bear like some slight resemblance, I don't think it, it bears much resemblance. Um, to what the gentry in Scotland actually wore, but um, yeah, and uh, he he is dolled up to the nines. He's looking like a million bucks. Um, yeah, Harry Lauder, that's the fucking name I'm looking for. <laughs> Harry Lauder was a very famous Scottish entertainer in the kind of first half of the night, the twentieth century, um, who settled not far from Dunoon. Oh. That's um, and he, he used to play Dunoon a lot in the the, all the music halls in Dunoon when it was a big sort of tourist attraction place. Um, but Lauder kind of created this image of Scotsman with the the tam shanter and the crooked walking stick, and they were always fucking howling, and their spawn <laughs> was doing it, their knees and all this kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> and it's that it's this velvet jerkin thing with the the frilly fucking yeah. Like, Rough around the neck and all that. We don't. We do not dress like that. You dress like that nowadays, you'd get butt fucked in the street. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And not it's in a shank. fucking friendly way. Um, yeah. So Summer Isles decided for some reason in the middle of the day to dress like this. He's having a bit of a sing song with the teacher that we met earlier, who looks drunk and randy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Some fucking coming um, on. Oh yeah. Um, Anyway, Equalizer's had enough with the heathen bastards. He says the next day he's heading back to the mainland and he's going to have them investigated for, like, ritual murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and Samurai basically goes, eh, well, I'm glad you won't be here tomorrow for the May Day celebrations. All right, Count Dooku, calm down. <laughs> um, Hello, Equalizer. Let's see your skill with the lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite good, don't you? <laughs> Um, yeah, the equaliser then finds a copy of the 1972 photograph and it shows Rowan in it, the girl that's missing. Mm-hmm. But there's very little in the way of fruit and veg around her. Mm-hmm. Like the others, the barrels were all overflowing. And he thinks that she's been sacrificed because the harvest failed. Um, later on that night, Brett Eklund sings a song with her titsuit. <laughs> uh, and basically tries to entice the equaliser to come through and ride her by rubbing her tits on the wall and using some tit magic <laughs> to, like, magic. Like, to, like, to like draw him through like a kind of zombie trance type thing. It's quite magic. weird, but That's I was amazing. quite turned on. I've uh, got to say, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, Brett Eklund used a body double in this movie. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's disappointing. <laughs> right, okay. But it isn't in this at all. So basically it wasn't her voice and it wasn't her body. Uh, oh, yeah, she was she like a dis-fucking-bodied head <laughs> she, floating about? I think I think there's there's uh, conflicting stories about this. Uh, Robin Hardy said that Eklund didn't want to be naked in the movie, so she refused to do it, so they used the body double, and I think it, it wasn't until she'd already come across and started in the role that it then came out that she wouldn't do that. Um, Britt Eklund, I believe, 
uh, claims that they didn't. I think she was pregnant at the time as well, so she didn't want. You know, she says that they didn't want to put her on there, and that's never been answered. It's, it's one of these like it's one of these stories that circle, that will always circle this film without a definitive answer. But yeah, she is not. You are right, Brett Eklund, um is kind of maybe half in this movie. Um, yeah. Really, when you think it from an acting point of view. Yeah. I said that, but yeah. like, when you think about it, the movie Ingrid Pitt um, is, I think she's of German descent. Um, Brett Eklund's Swedish, Edward Woodward and fucking Christopher Lee are English, and they're all playing yeah. Scottish people. <laughs> um, it's like we didn't have any actors up here, Baz. Well, they were on Take the High Road, mate. That's what. <laughs> um, or Garnock Way, as it was at the time. Um, yeah, well, be, anyway, it made me want to wank anyway, whether it was her or not. Oh, it's, an, it's a hugely erotic scene, and yeah. uh, whoever the body double is, meow. Yeah. Meow. Um, anyway, the equaliser doesn't fall for it, but he is about hot and bothered, um, and she kind of teases him about it the next day, and again makes some fucking comment about being a good job, you won't be around for May Day. Mm-hmm. Um, if it had been me, I'd have probably gone, like, how's that, Hen? Is there a chance of me riding you in May Day? Because <laughs> uh, if there is, then there's a good chance I'll be staying about for it. <laughs> um, so anyway, he, he's decided, like, so next day he's like, fuck it, I'm getting out of here, so he goes to get his wee Lego plane mm-hmm. to fly out. Um, and there's quite a creepy bit where basically he's kind of rowing out to his wee plane and the locals start appearing <laughs> wearing these wooden animal masks, mm-hmm. which is actually depicted on the front of my DVD thing, but I hadn't realised it was actually people in masks. Um, and it, it's it's quite creepy, I've got yeah. to say. Um, I mean, there's, there's very little that's frightening in this film. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, especially by today's standards. Mm-hmm. But the bit with the wooden mask, my, my wife happened to be in the room at that point. She didn't like it. She was a bit creeped out it's by it. It's very unnatural looking. That, that's, yeah. I think that's what it is. is mas- There's something about old, like, see when you see those pictures, like, from the, like, kind of, like, turn of the previous century, and you see kids wearing Halloween costumes. And oh, it might just be like a sheet or a bag or something like that, and it's yeah. fucking creepy as fuck. They all look like that wee boy in the orphanage. Yes, terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's, there's just and it just looks so unnatural. And you're right, that that scene is very jarring. Yeah. So anyways, they're all creeping about and they're kind of watching him, uh, and he can't start his plane, so he has to go back to the island. Um, back at the island, basically all of the all of the islanders are getting ready for the ceremony thing. Um, and he'd read about some characters in a book like The Fool and The Hobby Horse and all this, and they all start appearing. Mm-hmm. Um, Count Dooku is doing the world's worst <laughs> Highland fling in the middle of the town square. Um, and he then addresses the crowd and tells them this, what the ceremony is going to involve and all that. Equalizer's going to have his nut. <laughs> decide, and then he basically does turn it to the Gestapo and starts conducting door-to-door searches. Mm-hmm against everybody's fucking permission mm-hmm. it doesn't go very well No. so he decides to go back for a bit of a sleep right mate you're in the middle of what can only be described <laughs> as a satanic conspiracy that involves missing children right you've ransacked the locals houses like a Nazi <laughs> all the while they just laughed at you and you think maybe a couple of your sleep will do me some fucking good. Do you know what I mean? 
Have you tried phoning the mainland? <laughs> you know I mean, fucking carry a pigeon or something. Don't go to sleep. So as he goes to go to sleep, he overhears Willow and her dad basically plotting to kind of put a spell on him with something called the Hand of Glory, which is a totally different meaning nowadays. <laughs> Turns out it's a creepy. <laughs> Turns out it's a weird hand-shaped candle. Oh my god! Uh, which oh doesn't he plug god. in anywhere? <laughs> oh, oh. take batteries. Um, oh my god! But he manages to extinguish the candle and knock out the innkeeper, and take his punch costume off. He's dressed as Punch for mm-hmm. the parade, like the fool. So he then he joins in the parade, right? And then. <laughs> We then see the parade, and Big Count Dooku's right up the front, and I've used the term mincing about, <laughs> uh, he's, he's, he's skipping like a fucking Dutch milkmaid through a meadow, <laughs> Look, looking like what can only be described as that wee lassie out the ring. <laughs> It's like a combination of the girl from The Ring and Marilyn Manson circa well, 1994. I, I was just going to say, it looks like a, like the wee last you at The Ring if she sang for Gorgoroth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Woodward is dressed as the bully. He has to join in to avoid being discovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make their way up to the kind of standing stones. They're doing this weird ceremony where they locked swords. And... Uh, Oh, sorry, excuse me. This is my fucking, my lack of sleep catching up with me and my two cans of cider. <laughs> um, he has to kind of put his head through the swords and then, oh God, they're going to kill me. And they don't. And then it looks like they're beheaded a wee girl, but it's all just a trick. Mm-hmm. And then they sacrifice some casks of perfectly good beer into the sea. Oh, were you morally outraged? I was a wee bit. I was a wee bit, Duncan. I'm not going to lie. Um... Then a girl is brought out as a sacrifice to... So that was the sacrifice to the sea. They're now going to sacrifice to the land, and it's a wee lassie. Equalizer breaks cover to go and rescue her. Mm-hmm. And they flee through some sea caves, and it turns out the wee lassie's rowing that he's been looking. So you're kind of led at this point to think that the whole thing was harmless all along. Mm-hmm. And that he's just basically got the, the wrong end of the stick. Um. They then get through the sea caves and it looks like they're going to escape. And oh god, oh no, there, there's fucking Lord Summerisle looking like Marilyn Manson. Um, and he admits that the harvest had failed last year. Um, and but then he tells them that basically the equaliser is there as the sacrifice. That this was a plot all along, kind of mm-hmm. thing. The equaliser tries to run away, but the villagers all appear on the hillside to prevent him escaping, kind of thing. And he gets captured. Um, they prepare him for the ceremony kind of thing he does this whole reaffirmation of his Christian faith to the crowd and I think he's trying to kind of get them to turn away from their pagan gods um, and Summerisle tells him he's going to make him a martyr mm-hmm. uh, and he must keep his appointment with the wicker man and they then drag him off to the wicker man um, which obviously is this huge wooden effigy type thing Um and he's basically he's placed inside it um, 
but there's animals and all that in there as well, which I wasn't yeah. expecting. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, basically they set light to this. This is the kind of final scene. They set light to it and he's basically slowly roasted alive inside it. Um, you do get little shots inside it and he, he maintains his faith right up to his death kind of thing. I don't know if there's some weird pseudo-religious subplot in there that no, yeah. or the Christian faith will triumph over the godless heathens kind I, of thing. I, I, think, I think, well, we'll talk about it at the end, but I think it's... There's a lot of kind of there's a lot of theological discussion to be had involving the movie and what it may or may not be trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, but I'm too tired. Don't. Yeah, so basically, that's that is the Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I think of the Wicker Man? Um. I think The Wicker Man is a good film. I enjoyed The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I think it is a film that I will probably return to quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that I will grow more fond of it the more I watch it. All right, yeah. Um, it's not without its faults, but it was made in 1973. Mm-hmm. So... You have to cut it a lot of fucking slack for that, and I think for a film of its age, it's really quite excellent. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, it maybe fails slightly when you compare it to some of the kind of modern horror kind of masterpieces. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. any film of that age is going to, and that is not a reflection on The Wicked Man at all. That's just a fucking reflection on filmmaking. You know, it, because it's nearly fucking 50 year old. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's... Like they can't come it's like comparing apples and oranges do you know what I mean um, I thought Woodward was excellent in it I really did think he was very very good in this film uh, and I included Scottish accent in that mm-hmm. um, yeah like Lee he's very calm very over the top um, he's not in the film as much as I was expecting yep he's um, uh, th- this this was kind of used originally This his performance in this his casting um, I mean basically they couldn't afford they couldn't afford Christopher Lee, so he did it for fuck all because he really wanted to be in the movie and he wanted to do right. it as a, an exercise to... It, by this point, Christopher Lee's known as Dracula. It's something he can't shake, even though he he uh. did Dracula. Like, he played so one of the most on-screen Dracula performances of any actor ever and he hated the role. He kept doing Hammer horror movies and he really didn't want to do it. So this is a moving away from Hammer horror. This is a moving away from Dracula. This is a totally different sort of role for him. I mean, he's he's fairly happy and cheery throughout most of this movie, mm. um, which is in stark contrast. And there's a lot of dialogue for him in complete contrast to the sort of roles he'd done before, whether it was uh, Frankenstein or... Or, um, or you know, like uh, even even his performances of like him to the Baskervilles, uh, you know, it doesn't have as much Christopher Lee. He actually, even he originally didn't want Edward Woodward to be in this movie. He wanted um, Peter Cushing. Uh, who was oh right, very close Grand friend Bob of his. Yes, <laughs> funnily enough, um, and. Cushion, who had done a ton of Hammer horror movies as well, and was like best friends with Christopher Lee. The two of them had worked on so many projects together. Um, couldn't do it contractually, he had, had other obligations. I think that's probably the best move ever. I think Peter Cushion and The Wicker Man would dramatically change the tone of this. Woodward's performance is so dry uh-huh. um, that 
it, it feels very authentically, like you were saying, this kind of Presbyterian, very kind of very preachy sort yeah. of, you know, my way is the right way and we'll do things the way it says, you know, in the book according yeah. to the church of our town and that's it. And and what it what I also liked about Woodward's thing was it, it, it reminded me of cops when I was a kid. All right. You know, not necessarily the preachy religious side of it. He was this weird hybrid of that kind of church elder slash policeman, you know, because policemen, they did, they, they, and I'm not saying it was actually a fucking bad thing. I was terrified of cops when I was younger. Yeah. Fucking good. You should have been. Do you know what I mean? You weren't a wee dick because you were scared of the policemen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas nowadays they don't give a shit about the cops and they're all wee dicks. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the cops weren't like that. They would just fucking, you know, if they thought there was something up, they would just, just go into your house and check it out. Yeah. You know? Um, and it, it really brought that back to me, actually. I thought as Woodward's performance as the cop, I thought he's, was He's phenomenal. This. Considering they hadn't really done, like, much in the way of anything to garner recognition as an actor before the Wicker Man. The Wicker Man's the one that puts him on the map. And as a, an aside, according to IMDb, anyway, um, the wife of the man that made um, the Equaliser had apparently told him to cast him after seeing this movie. So, Right. Even though The Equaliser's 1985. Um, so, like, a full 12 years later, he was finally recognised um, <laughs> by an American producer. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's I think he's perfectly cast. I think Lee's perfectly cast as well. I think he, he really... Like, you see, I think, like, even though the word mincing kind of has, like connotations which are are seen as derogatory it's kind of the way he plays it yeah um, and he plays it very 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 well i mean he's a huge huge man but there's something overtly camp about his character which just works really well mm-hmm. yeah no I, I did i really enjoyed his performance as well and um yeah the you mentioned at the start the the ending of this film is almost iconic now. It's almost in the popular culture. Mm-hmm. I know what I, I knew what happened at the end of the Wicker Man. Yeah. Um. You know, just you, you can't be involved in a fucking show like this and not know what happens oh, yeah. at the end of the Wicker Man. Do you know what I mean? Um. But I I can't appreciate how kind of jarring, if you like, that must have been. Um, at the time, you know, for cinema goers and stuff like that. I don't think there was many films before it where the hero is fucking killed at the end. Yeah. Never never mind burned alive. You know, on discovering this hideous plot that's going on in this island <laughs> and then falling prey to it and fucking dying to basically get away with Scott Free. I- Although, in fairness, you have to question Lord Summer Isle and his plot in luring a policeman to the island. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a small concern, Lord Summerisle, that possibly some of the other cops might come to look for the missing cop? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things yeah. you've mentioned that are really interesting. I, I mean, the the first is the the working assumption that Edward Woods are, Edward Woodward is the hero of this movie. All right, because yeah. you could you could look at it the other way of you have this island right of of pagans who are just going about their own. Thing, minding their own business, and, yeah. You, well, um, yeah, right. So, um, <laughs> are they burning people? They burn Woodward, but there's no yeah. evidence they've burned anyone before Woodward. But they enticed him at the island to burn him. Yeah, they, yes, they certainly that's, do. That's premeditated murder. Uh, the, the whole setup um, is 
done in such a way where they keep trying to like in fairness they keep Woodward shouldn't be there <laughs> for a start um, and he shouldn't be there without backup one cop going to an island himself after yeah. that first that first conversation you would have been back on the fucking plane back to get reinforcements um, but there when I was talking about the th- kind of theological point of view um as the history books say, and I'm very much aware that I need to watch what I'm saying as not to offend people of a certain faith because even though I don't have faith myself, I respect anyone and their entitlement and beliefs to have whatever faith they have. Um, I mean, history to a certain extent, whether you agree or disagree, um, works on the premise that Christians just built their churches over pagan worship yes. grounds, and that was to make transition to Christianity more accessible a lot of christian holidays are founded on you mentioned one earlier on right at the start of the episode um happy on around pagan days of worship or celebrations and that would once again was to make transition to from paganism to christianity seamless which makes uh, sense that's our vikings of uh, Burzum, yeah he always stated that those church burnings um in norway uh, in the 90s during the black metal kind of boom weren't satanic um, they were burning those churches down because those churches had burned down the kind of original religious sites that were there Yeah, you know Christianity moved to the country kind of thing so yeah it is a kind of a common idea yeah, if you like a, yeah. so, so what we have is essentially we have on some level a, a kind of a symbolic representation of once again this this idea of I mean there's there's two ways to look at the Wicker Man. The first way to look at it is that all the pagans are heathens um, who are ultimately luring a man to him to his death. The other way to look at it is that Edward Woodward comes in very heavy fisted with all all the morality of um, his very devout faith um, and looks down, belittles and ridicules every single person on this island pretty much from the moment he arrives, looks down at them as being lesser than him because they don't believe in his God um, and overlooks the many telling clues in this movie that ultimately lead you know, like, he's set up, there's a reason he ends up dressed as the fool at the end I mean, because that's what he is he's just, the, the, the sacrifice is made Towards the fool, he's he's led up the garden path, so to speak, in this movie from the moment. You, he sure, you sure it's not just because he knocked out the guy that was supposed to be the fool? Yeah, I I think that that I th- why is the fool there? Why why are they speaking loud enough that he can hear them? It's all a setup. It's all a game. I said like the, the whole everything that happens to Woodward on that island is orchestrated. The the mis yeah. the misinformation yeah, yeah. and everything, and it's all part of this almost this trial to prove that he is worthy of their sacrifice um, and what, what's telling about this one is this is the, they've ha- they're having to burn him but Summer Isle's out on a limb here like if this doesn't work if they don't get their harvest Summer Isle's head next because he's promised them this is the last uh-huh. step you know the, the last thing they can do is like human sacrifice to get their crops back um, and if this doesn't work we never see the outcome and you know, there's something quite jarring about that that end sequence of one man like shouting to the sky to his god and a group of people shouting to the sky and singing for their god and 
there's no real evidence that either one of them is going to save the day, or that you know that either one of them is going to be okay at the end of it, or certainly not Woodward. Um, I mean, there's something really powerful about that. I think, especially the way that Woodward plays it, that moment where he comes over the hill and it's, oh dear God, Jesus, God Christ, no. There's and you hear him say all that before you see the Wicker Man, and then that very first shot of the Wicker Man is like, what the fuck is this and like you see if you the first time i saw the wicker man i didn't know what the ending was and it floored me and i saw it at a tender age where when this movie finished i was appalled um so what kind of a fucking sort of fucked up snuff movie is this um but there's there's that element as well to it and i think the the movie kind of handles in some way you could call this a religious horror movie yeah. Um, which is not trying to be, but it's certainly, when you look at the movies, I see The Wicker Man is influenced. I think The Wicker Man is certainly influenced. Kill List, the movie you saw very recently. I think The Wicker uh-huh. Man, like that idea of this being pulled through all these trials and being set up for ultimately an end goal, which has been predetermined for you before you even started the journey. Um, you know, that's, that's certainly got an impact. One that we covered, Borderlands, I think, owes a lot to Wicker Man as well. Um, it's that idea of, you know, paganism, Catholicism, the same site being the, the, the ground of and ultimately being led to be sacrificed towards a pagan deity in the case of that movie. Um, they all owe quite a lot to this one. Wicker Man really kicks off this kind of whole thing called folk horror, um, which became huge in the UK. The, loads of titles that fall under folk horror and Wicker Man's probably the more predominant one um, but yeah I think there's there, I think there's a lot of interesting conversations that like come will definitely come out on, you're saying repeat watches for you, the more yeah. you watch this movie I think the more you will like my position has changed so much on this movie in the years that I've been watching it I feel the older I get the more my position changes when I first watched it I thought that Woodward was the hero as time has went on I've I've felt less so. Um, he is so abrupt and so fucking rude and so hostile. Like you, you likened him. You likened him to a Nazi um, yeah. in this movie. Do you usually liken a hero to a Nazi in a movie? Yeah, but he's not burning anyone to death, don't he? He's not burning anyone. I mean? to, he's not burning anyone to death, but he is condemning an entire island with no evidence or at all you know he's going to bring them back for a murder investigation for based on what mixed stories and gossip um he's, he's almost condemning them for sacrificing a child without any real evidence that they've sacrificed a child if you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like well they're pagans so they're obviously, obviously they've done something bad um and you could say that the, the policeman's job is maybe to have suspicion but he condemns pretty much an entire island because of their beliefs, so they're pagans, so they must have killed this little girl. Um, it turns out, ultimately, his hunch was right, they, they were going to kill someone, him. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, though, I, I don't necessarily think either side in this movie is good, if that makes sense. I think they're both equally flawed. Um, you could say, yes, Woodward doesn't kill anyone, so by default ipso facto Baz um, he's, he's not as bad as the other group but I don't think Woodward's a, a good guy in this movie by any stretch of the imagination I think we default to that position because he's a police officer um, mm. but I don't think he's a nice guy I think you put this character in any other movie and we'd be like that this fucking Woodward guy's a prick 
Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's weird in the context of this movie. And trust me, a lot of people, including myself, upon first viewing of this one, are very much like, Woodward, you know, fucking ends up burning to death at the end of this movie. It seems really unfair. He's just there doing his job and all the rest. But there's certain things he does in his job which I question. So... There we go. <laughs> That's you like that, right, Duncan? Disagree with you. Yeah. Uh, but um, a couple of things that you mentioned that I think are worth mentioning. I yep. think um, the, the soundtrack to this movie, like you sent a particular tweet and you were like that, fuck, no one told me this was a musical. Yeah, the, um, the first half of it, there is an awful lot of music and then you get bits where the cast are singing. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, fucking hell. You know, I was being a bit facetious. It's not, a, it's not a musical, yeah. but um, it was far more than I was expecting. Yeah, we're all, Robin Hardy always intended this to be more of a kind of musical drama than, like I say, than anything else, and that denotes the the large amount of singing and dancing and kind of capturing this idea of kind of these kind of folk paganism sort of this vibe on the island. There was a, there was a, a lot of detail paid to that. Um, other thing I would say is cinematography in this movie is fucking gorgeous especially in the like, yeah. especially done up like there are some scenes in this like especially when he's flying over um, to the island and just some of the shots are beautiful that last scene is one of my favourite last shots of you know obviously of the skyline the sun's coming over the horizon or the sun's going down sorry and the head of the wicker man collapsing in uh, is just one of the most iconic shots I think personally in, in, in cinema I think it's fucking incredible it's like just a really breathtaking scene of almost has this sacrifice you know is this the you know the, the, the dawn of a new day you know all, all these sort of things I think that I think that is really good as well and like you've covered as well I think the acting is of a incredible quality and you're right I mean I saw this at a a fairly young age The Wicker Man to me has a lot of flaws I openly acknowledge there are a ton of flaws there's a wee bit too much singing in the movie for my liking Um, I I could be doing a bit less Um, but it has an important place in, in in cinema but an important place in horror history because this one really does kick off like the 70s are a decade where there are some pretty stark horrible nihilistic endings in in 70s movies and 70s horror movies where you know you just don't get endings like that in movies anymore Um, Mm and that's why movies like Kill List to me I gravitate towards like Ben Wheatley in general has a tendency to to go for slightly more nihilistic endings which I I tend to like Um, so you know, it's, 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 it's an icon. It's an icon. Whether or not... You can make the argument, plenty of people have made the argument, that if you take that end sequence out, it's not a horror movie. But I would say that the... To me, watching it for the first time, what got me was that the last 25 minutes, that disorientating feeling of, I don't know what's... Because you're at ground level with Woodward and you just... Nothing makes sense. The characters are practically speaking in riddles. What the fuck is going on? Every time you think you answer a question, there's two more questions, um, which ultimately leads to you, yourself being burned. There is a sense of dread. Um, if you've never seen the ending before or know what the ending is, there's a, yeah. a, a kind of palpable sense of dread, um, which comes towards the end of the movie. I think it's I think it's, a, it's an important movie. I personally wouldn't have chose this movie to do for this Baz v Horror um, just because I was concerned that maybe the age of the movie and the quirkiness of the movie, particularly with the, the music and stuff like that, might have been off-putting, but for what you're saying is it didn't put you off too much 
No, no, not at all. Um, there's a lot going for this film. Um, yeah, there was stuff in it I wasn't that keen on. But the, uh, it's still... I can see why it's called a classic. Mm. Um, and I keep going back to the fact of its age. Um, I would struggle to find a, another film of that age um, that's that good. Even something like Jaws. Jaws was a few years later on kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and also... Uh, the Wicker Man had been British, um, you know, Jaws and that, they had American film money behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I tend not to like old films. I'm kind of shallow that way. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I do get why people like this film. So, I like this film. You know, I, I do. I did enjoy the film. Um, I'm not crazy about it, but I, I do suspect that I will it will grow on me the more I go back to it and I think it is a film that I will return to quite a lot now one last question I need to ask you yes um, and before I give you your grade sir because yeah. we're back to the old uh, Baz v Horror gradings Baz um, there is a remake of this movie yes I did my top 10 best and worst horror remakes a couple of years ago and the Wicker Man landed number one with a bullet on the worst remakes not on the best yes. remakes Um it's one of the weirdest fucking movies ever. It's like really, really. It stars Nicolas Cage. Um, yeah, right. But before you go on, though, Uh-oh. I've watched it. When? Tonight. You can't just fucking drop this on me. You can't. <laughs> you can't fucking drop. Did you seriously? Did you? Boom! Wa- Mic drop. I watched it before I came out to record. It's on Netflix in the UK. Did you just fucking blew my mind? Like, I literally. <laughs> I don't. What's the... Let's talk about it. Like, let's condense this in, right? Well, very briefly. Um, I'm not giving a blow by block. I have no yeah. notes or anything on the film. How fucking batshit crazy is Nicolas Cage in that movie? Uh, he's, he's pretty nuts. Um, <laughs> I, I think... I mean, obviously, I, I've seen quite a few remakes. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I do tend to prefer them to the original. I thought the remake was great. You're fucking joking me, Baz. Yeah, I'm joking. It's duck shite. Oh, Baz, honestly, I was about two seconds away from disconnecting this call and disowning <laughs> you, blocking you, getting the poster recalled, getting someone else's face put over the top of yours. Oh, yes. what are you doing at me? You know where to begin with that film. It's, it's so bad. Well, it hates women, for a start. It, um... that, that, the, the, that movie hates women. Like, <laughs> like g- genuinely hates women. Even on a far more superficial level, right? It's a film, right? You have to have seen The Wicker Man to take anything out of the remake. <laughs> Therefore, you have seen the original one, so you realise how bad the remake is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Mobius strip of shite. You just keep getting round and round and round. It's, it's, it's awful. Oh. It's so fucking bad. Um, it makes less sense than the original. Yeah, yeah. The originals, the whole premise didn't work. The setting for the original Wicker Man, I thought was quite clever. Uh The little Scottish island, you could see something like that happening. Whereas he turns up basically to some weird Amazonian lesbian fucking compound just off the fucking... Coast of America, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, um, uh, of... Washington State, you know, this is sort of northwest US. It, 
it, it's dreadful. It, it makes so little sense. Mm-hmm. It makes so little sense. The bit at the start, I hated. <laughs> All in a bit when he's in the island was shit. <laughs> he like, just runs a bit. And I actually had thought, uh, you'd made, we were talking this beer, the bees thing a few months ago. Yeah, not the bees. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's how he died. I thought he'd actually done away with the wicker man bit. Oh, no, no, no. And then I was like, ah, the wife happened to be there. That was like, supposed to be like the worst ending ever in a film. Um, and I was like, I don't know why they still called it the wicker man, but the wicker man's not even in it. Because the bees kill. <laughs> and then they don't. No. What was that all about? I don't know. He should have just shattered his legs. So he's yeah. not going anywhere. Why stick the bees on his head? It makes no sense. But then to lynch him by those shattered legs and he bats not an eyelid. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. Actually, I know everything's on about not the bees, they're in the eyes. Yeah. I didn't that was his worst acting in that. Oh no, it's amazing. The... He's he's going he's going crazy. And they're CGI bees. So yeah. he's like like I've always that... said, I want to see the outtakes, the seventy five takes of him just going crazy at nothing. The bit with the the little burnt doll yeah. that they find in the oh, grave. How did it get burned? How did it get burned? Yeah. Oh, what? A, you know, that, I was like, oh, my God. I I don't mind Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I, I know he's not the greatest actor in the world, but I didn't realise he was a bad actor until I watched that film. Oh, there's a lot of movies from, like, the, the late 80s and early 90s where... Like he, he was, he's in some amazing movies there are some amazing this is what I'll say about Nicolas Cage for all the shit that he does and he does a lot of shit now specifically and he has been in a lot of terrible movies he has been in some incredible movies and turned over some amazing performances that I just look at him as an actor he's, I mean he, he, he filed for bankruptcy how many years ago and he's basically working like about 20 movies a year to pay off the the huge amounts of money that he, he needs to pay back for the property scheme scandal that he was involved with. Um, that's why he's doing like 20 movies a year, straight to DVD um, titles. But right. this movie is... There's a great there's a great um, story that you'll find on um, YouTube of Mark Kermode doing a review of The Wicker Man and he says that he had a conversation with Robin Hardy, the original director of the original Wicker Man, um, and he mentioned the director of, you know, who was going to be the director of the the, the remake, and Robert Hardy said it quite pensively. And uh, Kermode had said, "Oh no, he's actually a, he's a, he's an interesting name," and mm. Cage's name was attached to. It. It's like, oh, he's an interesting actor. No one really knew what Edward Woodward would be like before that role, and that you know this has great potential. And then he saw the movie, and it just failed on every level for him just failed in every as a movie which is has a hatred of women so deeply rooted at its core it is unbelievable that mm-hmm. movie like you have Nicolas Cage just calling them bitches all the way through that movie karate kicking one of them through a wall punching one of them out I've, I've got to say when he starts punching bitches at the end <laughs> like the way I say that anyone should watch the Wicker Man remake never watch the full movie just go onto YouTube type in best of Wicker Man remake and there's a five minute montage that covers 
the most absurd aspects of the movie. Watch it, you'll piss yourself laughing, um, and then never, never watch, never watch the movie. Never watch the movie. Never watch. <laughs> well, I can't I believe did, you watched it. As I say, it's on Netflix in the UK. If anyone wants to put themselves through it, it is, it, it's terrible. This is the first I remake what... that you've not liked, isn't it? On this What's show, that? this is the first remake of a movie that you've seen for this show that you've not liked. Modern remake. Um, yeah, possibly. Fuck. Yeah. Most of them I at least like. Some I've liked more than the originals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's but it, it's a terrible film. And I think what gets me the most is obviously the first one is so iconic. Yeah. To to do it that badly, like like the Evil Dead. I thought the Evil Dead remake was great. You yep. know I don't like the original Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the remake was genuinely really good. But the original Evil Dead was a hugely iconic film in its genre. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But I think, I genuinely think the guy who made that did a really good fucking job. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nice nods to the original. He kind of made it his own, brought it up to date, but it was still the Evil Dead. This kind of flipped between, I'm going to do something completely different, I'm going to make it exactly the same. It, it's just like they had no fucking idea where they were going. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, ah, just awful. Absolutely awful film. <laughs> I can't believe you did that to me. That just blew my mind. It's not often that you surprise me on this podcast, <laughs> uh, but you just fucking floored me with that. Uh, right, so let's let's bring this in then, Baz. For your grade, your final grade yes. of this year, um, there's no way I can't give you anything in an A plus. That was a fucking nice, great review. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Hand of Glory is is going to become part of my uh, regular <laughs> vocabulary moving forward. Now that I know what it means, Baz, um, I think it'll become a regular part of your love making. No. <laughs> <laughs> if it isn't already, um, right? Uh, we are going to take a very short break. When we come back, we're closing out the show right after this. I feel like something bad is going to happen to me. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. The normally tranquil setting of Ararat's mortal dam was shattered to a young woman taken too soon. Ten days after Ellie's funeral, stuff started happening around the house. Sounds seemed to come from Ellie's old room. They didn't really relent, so I thought, well, I'll just set up a camera to, you know, see anything. I looked back and there was footage of a figure moving across the hallway. The image was quite unsettling because it certainly looked like Alice. Don't you close your eyes? I usually uh, videotape my sessions. Something was empty inside that house and I wanted to find out what it was. We checked the tapes. There was a ghost in our house. kept secrets she kept the fact she kept secrets a secret something bad is going to happen to me alice knew she was going to die i feel like something bad has happened it hasn't reached me yet but it's on its way it's getting closer And welcome back so this is the second movie review of this part three of Baz v Halloween 2015. This is our found footage feature 
of this show and um, I chose a movie that I had never seen before. Um, this one is featured on many lists, uh, most notably actually featured on one of the listener suggestions for a Baz V Horror many moons ago uh, for found footage and that particular vote Cannibal Holocaust won out um, and so uh, we never got a chance to see this one and it's it's been constantly recommended to me through through maybe the last five years and I, I don't know why it took me so long to, to finally sit down and watch it so this is one of these rare occasions where in fact very rare occasions where me and Baz are both talking about a movie that neither one of us had seen beforehand so um, without any further ado let me tell you what that movie is it's Lake Mungo from 2008 um, it was directed and written by Joel Anderson. The movie stars Rosie Trainer, David Pledger, Martin Sharp, Talia Zucker, Tanya Lenti, uh, Cameron Strachan, Judith Roberts, Robert Cumming, Marcus Costello. Other folks are in here. There is the very briefest of synopsis uh, or synopses on um, the the IMDb's. It just says a supernatural drama about grief, um, which is kinda, but that. That's like saying the Exorcist is a movie, a movie about a possessed girl. You know, it doesn't really give much. You know, <laughs> just doesn't really give much away. Um, in some ways, that quite benefits this movie. And obviously, the trailer's played now. Um, we're halfway through our found footage features. Uh, for those keeping score, they will know that the last broadcast fucked Baz up. Uh, they will also know that the den uh, Baz enjoyed but didn't really make an impact so I know for a fact there are people eagerly out there wanting to know what you made of Late Mungo but what I will say Baz is towards the end of this review I am going to read out the text you sent me <laughs> right when this movie finished um, which will maybe underline and put the final full stop and stamp um, as to what you make of this movie. So, my friend, you uh, sat down late last night in the dark like I wanted you to, and you watched Lake Mungo. Please tell the audience out there what you made of this movie. Don't want to. (laughs) 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 You kind of huffed to buzz. I know, I know. Um, Yeah, yeah, Lake Mungo. Like you say, Duncan, um, this one was your wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, having not seen this film yourself, uh, as you say, um, after week two there, um, I'd taken a 3-1 lead. Um, felt like I was cruising kind of thing. I think you were slightly concerned at what way this was going to go this year. Um, yeah. And yeah, risky moving your part, big man, throwing in a film you've not actually seen yourself. Yes, I like to gamble every now and again, Baz. <laughs> Uh, the first thing about Lake Mungo, I had no idea this was an Australian film, literally until the first line of dialogue came out, and I'm like, oh, this is Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I, I don't know if I thought it was fucking English or American or something. I, I, I just had no idea it was Australian. In fairness, I've, I've seen a few Australian horror films now, with the Wolf Creek ones, uh, with the Babadook, Wormwood, the kind of zombie. They've all been excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've enjoyed just about every Australian horror film I've seen so far. Um, particularly, they tend to be maybe at the lower end of the you know the budget kind of scale. Um, but there's always kind of strong storytelling, good acting, you know, good casting and stuff like that that carries them through. So I was quite pleased when I t- to discover it was an Australian one. Um, I was quite looking forward to it. 
Um, and actually, in thinking back, now that you mention it, I think I actually voted for this film in the poll for the found footage. I think you're right. I think um, at the time it may have been uh, fellow podcaster Dan Chase that either suggested this movie in the poll or put a statement as to why he was wanting to see us tackle it and if memory serves you put your vote down against it purely based on what he had said yeah that kind of rings a bell I just I thought I quite liked the premise um, I think the name's quite cool as well it gives fucking nothing away <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. you might go out like, like Mungo maybe it's a big crocodile thing like that like Placid one you know what I mean? Maybe it's a massive turtle, like massive snapping turtle. Anyway, it's not that at all. It's as you say, it's a found footage film. Don't well, it's more along the lines of like the last broadcast. It's like one of these faux documentaries. Um, I've seen a couple of them now. We saw the Poughkeepsie tapes. We saw the last broadcast. Both films that I loved, and mm-hmm. both films that I was pretty scared by. It has to be said. It seems to be a kind of style. A subgenre, if you like, uh, of found footage that hits home with me, um, you know, both in terms of enjoyment and in sort of levels of fear. Yeah, well, you're a big documentary watcher. Yeah, I love documentaries, yeah. yeah. And maybe that's where the impact comes in. Maybe it's taking something that you are very familiar with and it's just putting a sinister element into it, which is having that profound impact on you. Yeah, also, it almost kind of lures me in. It's that way it kind of... I suppose a lot of found footage works in this way. You know, it kind of tricks you into forgetting that you're watching a film. Yeah. You know, um, while this looks like a documentary, it is a film that's made up. Um, but, yeah, it, it's very easy to forget that and, and get drawn into the whole thing. Um, it's very basic premise. It's about a family and the daughter dies in kind of tragic circumstances. And, and it's what happens after that. Um, that's basically the whole premise of this documentary. Um it's not kind of narrated in any way. It's if it is narrated, it's narrated by the, the people themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like an oral history book, if you like. You know, it's just snippets of conversations and interviews pieced together. Um, and basically, the, the film opens with a kind of garbled nine 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 or nine one one or whatever the fuck they have in Australia <laughs> type call, um, an emergency call to the police. Uh, about a missing girl, um, and I've got to say, right at that, it was very hard to make any of that out, mm-hmm. and I was slightly concerned at that. Oh well, God, I wonder if the sound's really dodgy or something like that. My hearing's not the best. In fairness, there was nothing important missed at all. All you had to know was they were phoning the fucking police because their daughter was missing. Basically, there's a family of four: the Palmers, um, fathers uh, Russell, uh, the mothers June the son Matt and the daughter Alice or Ali as they call her uh, they're essentially out for a kind of a day trip picnic whatever you'll call it um, at this lake which actually is not Lake Mungo which I didn't mm-hmm. find out too much later in the film that it just happens to be at a lake um, and the the kids Alice and Matt now they're both teenagers you know they're, they're not wee kids by any means um, they're both around about the 16 mark I think around about there um, and they go swimming Matt comes back in and Ali doesn't um, she doesn't come back in um, and you know the family start kind of looking for them and things start to get more frantic panicked and then the phone calls made to the police and stuff the police turn up um, 
they are then sent home essentially to just wait you know the police are going to do their job kind of thing obviously things aren't looking great and then they get the phone call um sort of during the night or early the next morning uh, to tell them that a body's been found um and could they come down to the morgue kind of thing and have a look um and quite key to a lot of this film it's the father that goes uh russell goes down to check it out the mother doesn't go and that does become quite important um later on in the film mm-hmm. um so he goes down and they check it and sure enough it is, it's, it's alice um and we get to see the body uh lying there um it's quite disturbing the way the way it's been done um very grey, kind of bloated looking. The lips are all black and cracked. One eye's very badly kind of swollen shut and, and stuff like that. Uh, it's a very jarring kind of image that we get. Um, it's not like like we were talking off air about. You know, you mentioned some similarities. I think you're going to talk about them later on to, to the Twin Peaks. Um, now, obviously, I've just started watching Twin Peaks very recently. Um, and one of the things that was fairly fresh in my mind was that one of the early scenes where uh, they find Laura's body, Laura Palmer's body, in the beach, wrapped up. And when, they, when it was unwrapped, if you like, and you see it in the morgue, she looks basically like the girl, you know, Laura Palmer does in real life, but they've painted her grey type thing. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like that at all. It's very kind of graphic. It looks awful. It looks like she's been in the water for about three weeks kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um this vision of her is actually, again, it's quite important. It comes in later on. So that's it. So Alice is dead, she's drowned. Family go about dealing with that and then coping with their grief and stuff, uh, which they do in varying kind of different manners. Um, the the dad, he throws himself very heavily into his work. The son, he's quite into photography and film work and stuff like that. It seems to be a hobby. Um, he is very into that. The mum, rather telling, she struggles quite badly. She doesn't see, appear to have a kind of avenue for her grief, if you like, and yeah. she struggles very badly to cope with the loss of her daughter. Um, over the next few months, they, they start talking about, you know, they, were, they started hearing noises in the house, in Alice's room outside the house, stuff like that. Your typical kind of supernatural type element starting to creep into it now kind of thing, you know. Um, and you're like, all oh, right, so this is it. So nice and straightforward. The girl's drowned, she comes <laughs> back as a ghost. You know, for whatever reason. There'll be a reason she's come back, you know. Um, and a lot of the film focuses very much on the character of Matt, the brother. As I say, he, he's kind of into photography and quite early on it starts talking about a project that he's working on it's a kind of time-lapsed photography idea where he's taking photographs out of his garden and then over the countryside towards the town kind of thing and he's trying to take these photographs from the same spot you know every few weeks to show the sort of passing of the seasons type idea um and it draws your attention then gets drawn to one of these photographs that was taken a number, a good number of months after Alice's death. It just looks like a picture of the garden. And then the camera starts to move down and focus on this one particular section near the back fence. And as it gets closer and closer, you start to see this figure of a girl emerge. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's kind of blurred out. It's not crystal clear by any means, but it's very obviously like a girl with kind of long, dark hair. And they're saying, you know, that's Alice in this photograph kind mm-hmm. of thing. 
really quite creepy looking, I've got to say. Um, and it, I could feel myself starting to get on edge a wee bit at this point. Um, so they then talk about this. So now they've got this photograph and uh, you know, there's the noises that they're all hearing and all this stuff. So the son, he then decides um, he's going to set up some video cameras uh, around the house to kind of capture if anything's going on, you know, when they're not about, basically, kind of thing. And again, I, I liked that. One of the things I really liked about this film is, like we say, it's, it's not pure found footage. It's not like the Blair Witch where you're literally watching a series of tapes that have been spliced together. Yeah. Um, it's a documentary. A lot of the time it's interviews with the kind of key players. Um, a lot of the time you're looking at still images and stuff like that. Where there is live action footage, if you like, there's always a decent reason for it. You know, it makes sense that they would set these cameras up. It kind of initially like that. Oh, here we go, it's paranormal activity. They've got fucking cameras everywhere. But he's just put one or two up to see if anything's happening at night because they're getting these weird noises. It, it does, you know, it makes sense. And all of these kind of bits scattered throughout this film, there's always a reason for it. There's none of this. Oh God! Why you got a fucking camera? We, do you know? What I mean that this film doesn't suffer from that problem, which is a big plus in my book, kind of thing. Um, so anyway, yeah, so they've, they've got this these cameras set up in the house. Excuse me while I wet my whistle. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> and uh, there's a view in the tapes, and sure enough, at one point during one of the evenings. There's a small section of film which is focused on the hallway, which appears to see a this dark and kind of shadowy figure, mm-hmm. if you like, just pass by the end of the hall. Um, very creepy, very creepy. Um, it's that classic kind of, you know, it's a film, you know, it's live moving pictures, but nothing's moving in the house, and then you just see this kind of shadow thing pass by the end. Uh, so you know, at this point, they're they're convinced that there's you know the house is haunted, that Ali's come back, kind of thing. But more than that, the the mother at this point appears. She appears to kind of convince herself that Alice isn't dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there's mention made of earlier on as well about uh, you know they leave the light on outside now. Yeah, oh, she's going to come home, kind of thing, you know. And then when this stuff starts to happen, it seems to convince the mum that maybe she isn't dead. Maybe a mistake was made. And this harks back to the fact that she never saw her. Yeah. She didn't go to the morgue. It was just the father. And she, it's not particularly accusatory, but she starts to say, you know, maybe you've made a mistake. You know, maybe it wasn't her. You know, you, the body was, decom- you know, not decomposed, but the body was all, you know, battered up and stuff like that. Um, so they go to the extent of having the body exhumed. Um, and there's DNA testing carry out, and it proves inconclusively that it is Alice. So she is dead, and it's her that's in this grave kind of thing, you know. Um, I think it's right about this time, there's another um, photo comes out. Yeah. A kind of corroborating photograph. Yeah, from a different area, because all the, all the other yeah. pictures and the, the stuff that has happened has happened in the vicinity of the family house. Uh-huh. This one is taken uh, from the lake at a later date, and it's by a chap, he's some kind of park 
employee or something mm-hmm. like that, and he's carrying out some survey of water levels or something like that. He's taking lots of photographs, and in one of them, there is this small, faint, blurry image of a girl standing at the far side of the lake where Alice drowned. And the family kind of take this as some kind of corroborating evidence, you know, because this was nothing to do with them. They didn't take this photograph, you know. Um, this guy had nothing to do with anything kind of thing, and here he appears to this photograph of Alice or her ghost or whatever it is. And that's quite key to a lot of it as well kind of thing. Um, they also employ at this point the services of a kind of psychic investigator slash therapist type thing. Radio oh. personality. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Ray Kemeny. Um As you say, he uh, has this kind of ra- phone-in radio show mm-hmm. where the, the, the mother had heard him on the radio before, you know, and she, she freely kind of admits, you know, some people put a lot of faith in him, other people say he's a crank kind of thing, you know, so it's this, like you get with every psychic, you know, there's believers and there's non-believers. Um, but the mum brings him in um, to see if he can help you know with what's going on tell him if the house is haunted if they can communicate and so on and she he also uses kind of um, hypnosis techniques particularly on the mum um, she talks about getting into the room and feeling Alice still in the room and stuff like that and she just describes in quite detail this one like journey if you like she had into Alice's room excuse me they also um, conduct a seance and which they film and again like I say you would film a seance you know because they, they're kind of putting trances during it and stuff like that so he films it so they can see what's going on and um, nothing appears to happen during the seance um, there's no contact made nothing like that it seems a bit of a waste of time but when they start reviewing this um, footage of it mm-hmm. this image of a small face appears in the corner of the room I was not enjoying it by this point I've got to say I was <laughs> fucking creepily unnerved the The alarm bells were going off I think it was probably around about this time as well my wife went to bed now as per your instructions, I watched the, all of these films in the dark at night. It's my, my, my old breakfast uh, type. <laughs> Watch a horror film in broad daylight over breakfast in your pyjamas technique has been brushed aside. Yeah. Um, and I, I go for the full-on immersion, which is a stupid, stupid fucking idea. No, it's the, the time. This is the listen. We are we are in Halloween time now, right? This is this is October. Baz, if you're going to watch these movies and you want the full experience of how you should watch these movies, you need to watch them in the dark. Do it right. Well, I did. Um, And about half an hour in, uh, my wife decided she was going upstairs. She wasn't interested. She was going to go to her bed. And rather tellingly, at that point, I said to her, right, have you checked all the back door and the kitchen's all locked up and everything? (laughs) Now... My back doors are big patio doors and they look out onto a pitch black garden. There's no street behind my house. It's, it's a kind of wasteland type thing. Mm-hmm. So it's pitch black. And I was already concerned about going and shutting the blinds and checking the door and everything before I went to my bed. So I basically had her do it so that all I had to do was go up the stairs. 
that was quite telling because at this point this film's not really kicked up yet um, but I was already starting to feel a bit like that um, yeah so yeah so they've had the seance we've then seen this image of the face so that's it it's dead easy the daughter drowned she's come back to haunt them why mm-hmm. she's back to haunt them that's, that's where we're going and I think it's round right about this point that this film this film throws a couple of really serious fucking curveballs mm-hmm. at the, the viewer it flips you on your arse a couple of times till you don't really know what the fuck is going on and I don't mean that in a derogatory way I don't mean it's one of these stupid films that just confuses you it's not like that you just don't ever see any of this stuff coming the first one is and the father he's kind of narrating, narrating at this point he says yeah and, and then the such and such video came out and this is like you know you hear him talking about Bigfoot and stuff and the, you know the, the the Jones film from 1967 you know the, the name after the person that filmed it yeah. this is basically a home video that was shot by a couple who were down at the lake the day that the park worker was there the day that this corroborating photograph of Alice was taken and you know the the, the the thing with Alice and that was getting kind of local news coverage and that they saw this in the news and realised that this photograph had been taken the day that they were there so they then go back through their footage and again this is kind of proper found footage you know they're messing about on the beach the cameras going backwards and forwards and stuff like that and then they freeze it and there is just a kind of like second long piece of film where you see in the distance this figure emerge from behind a tree and this is the figure that the guy had photographed because tellingly as well they'd also filmed him mm-hmm. you could see he was quite far away so they're effectively on the other side of this water now where this figure of Alice was and the figure looks up and again it's kind of blurred it's not crystal clear by any means but you see that it is in fact Matt the son mm-hmm and you're like, what the fuck is going on there? And then very quickly, he's on screen and he's basically saying, yeah, I had faked it all. And you're like, what What the fuck? You know, the film's only halfway through by this point. If that, like, so it was all faked. Well, what the fuck are we doing for the rest of the film type thing? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Turns out... Um, like for instance the photograph he explains that the photograph in the garden was just kind of camera trickery he basically taken another image of her and then exposed it over the top of the image of the garden to make it look like it was this ghostly apparition over at the foot of the garden um, a lot of the film footage um, bits that we've not mentioned there's quite a lot of bits where you appear to be looking in a mirror you know, the filming in the hall and there's yeah. a mirror in the back and you can see a face in the mirror he then explains that he basically done that by playing a video, like a whole movie of Alice on a telly and then angling the the mirror so it just caught her face on the television type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically admits that he had faked all of this kind of stuff. Um, and I think he kind of implies that he did it you know, it was almost like to give his mum something to focus on because she was struggling really bad. Like, I can't really remember the, the proper reasoning behind it, but it's clear that it wasn't done maliciously. He wasn't being a little shit. 
yeah. or trying to get famous himself. He appeared to be doing it in a rather misguided attempt to help his mum type thing. So, yeah, so that's what that is. So you're left straight... And I've got... I really like that because you didn't see that coming. Well, I didn't see that coming mm -hmm. at all. I'm like, what the fuck, man? And then you're going, right, well, where's this film going now type thing? You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So, um... But then, you know, the, the, the sidekick guy, Kemney, he's still been coming to the house and stuff like that. Anyway, he's going up country um, to do like a, a seance tour or some bollocks like that. He wants it filmed. So they agree to let Matt go with him. He's getting kind of, you know, like shit off the local media and all that when they found out this was all a big hoax. Um, so they think, we'll get him out of the way. He, he can go off with the sidekick guy, do a bit of filming for him and things will calm down. But while they're away, there is another, I can't remember if it's in video or if it's a photograph, but basically there's another sighting of this ghost of Alice. And it's pointed out, you know, there's no possible way he could have did it. He wasn't anywhere near the place, you know, he was with the other guys. He didn't get up and know he was with me, you know. So then you're going, right, so there is a fucking ghost. What, you know, what the fuck's going on kind of thing. It's really quite fucking confusing. Through a kind of chain of events that I can't really recall, they, they start going back through all of the video and the sort of photographic footage again. And I think it's the one, the, the footage of the shadow in the hall. And they start to show it again and then they freeze it just before the, the figure kind of moves across the end of the hallway. And they then start to pan down across the image down to the right and into another room that was off in the right that didn't really that wasn't really in your line of sight when you're watching it the first time the first time you're watching this you're staring at this end of this hall because you know something's going to happen Yeah. sure enough this shadow can thing comes over it takes you down and there is a face crouching in the corner of the room I'm not going to lie I fucking shat myself at <laughs> Because we've basically been told that the the shadowy figure is a fake. Yeah. But look, you never fucking saw this over here. And then what really fucking got me is you hear the dad's voice coming over the top of it saying, and as we looked at it, we realised it was our neighbour, Brett Toohey. And I'm like, oh my God, so it's not even a ghost. There's somebody in their fucking house. Mm -hmm. This just fucking flat out terrified me I was losing my shit by this point to be honest um, the figure's crouched down it turns out this room is Alice's bedroom and mm -hmm. this figure's kind of crouched down at the back now obviously this was filmed months and months previously, you know, months have passed since that film was made of, of the hallway um, the Parents then go and investigate the room and over where he was creeping about there's a cupboard and in there they find this locked safe or kind of strong box type idea with a lock on it. Yeah. Which they seem to have a key for. They open it up, it's all Alice's stuff, there's a diary and there's a videotape and they play the videotape and it's this Brett to either neighbour having sex with Alice on a bed. Mm-hmm. 
Then his wife comes in and joins in. And we then find out that the two of are basically their neighbours. So there's a mum, dad, and there was two kids, two boys, um, both kind of under 10 or 10 and under type ideas, smaller children. And the dad says, you know, Alice had basically been babysitting those boys for a couple of years. Now, as I say, I think Alice is supposed to be around about 16 here. Mm. So we're starting to, you know, it's wavering on the border, you know, is, is this is there an element of child abuse here? So then my head's going, oh, this is what it is, right? So she was abused by this couple and she's gone and killed herself. You know, mm-hmm. she's struggled to cope with it and killed herself kind of thing. Um, and from the little st- taglines I've read in the DVD case and that said, it says, you know, in, in these uh, bef- here two unknown events start to come to light kind of thing. And I was like, all oh, right, so it's like a, a child abuse type thing, you know? But the sex scene's quite odd. Um, at the start, it's just her and him, and she seems to be enjoying the experience. Mm-hmm. Doesn't a, it doesn't look like a rape or a molestation type thing. Um, I'm always very careful with what I say when I'm talking about these type of things, because, I, I, again, we never, ever want to belittle any of these types of things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but then just towards the end of it she makes this noise that kind of implies that possibly she's in some kind of pain so you're left kind of going right I'm not sure was she being molested there or is it some weird fucking thing that she had going with the neighbours you know that was voluntary if you like on her part to an extent I appreciate if she's underage then you know that doesn't matter Uh, but you know it didn't look forced um, there's a kind of jubilee about it that leaves you wondering just exactly what's going on. And obviously, the parents are fucking floored by this. Do you know what I mean? Essentially, our neighbours have been jagging their child. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I think this is about nine months after her death. So, this film was made a few months after the death. This was obviously the, the neighbour in the house trying to find that he knew the existence of this tape and had to find it before the parents did or him and his wife were going to end up in jail. They failed to find it, and when they found out that they basically sold up, sold up their house and fucked off. Uh-huh. Uh, they'd obviously kind of decided we're going to need to run type thing. Um, so that's the first kind of... Like, the first kind of example of not everything was right here. You know, this wasn't just a nice happy family and there was a tragic accident that happened to the door and she came back. There appears to be now a side of the girl that we don't know. There's a couple uh, of other characters, um, teenage characters, the Whittle, uh, I think they're a brother and sister, the Whittles. The brother appears to have been Alice's boyfriend, like high school boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And the sister, like, it just appears there was a crowd of them all running about together, that kind of age. Um, and the the sister kind of implies that maybe, you know, there was more to her than people thought. Um, the the boyfriend, he's kind of like, no, of course I didn't know, but I would never have been where if I'd known she was sleeping with the fucking married guy next door type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then, though, I, another bit that we then find out as well that the, the psychic guy, Kemney, 
had apparently been treating Alice prior to her death. Yeah. Alice had gone to him over terrible nightmares she was having. She was having dreams about dying, about drowning. Uh, you know, like visions of trying to talk to her mum and her mum couldn't hear her and stuff like that. Um, she was struggling very badly and he had, you know, done this kind of hypnotherapy type thing where, of course, the parents are furious when they find out about this that he had actually had this other prior relationship with Alice before her death and not told them kind of thing, you know, and he kind of said, well, you know, I didn't want it to cloud their opinion of me, you know, and I wanted to try and help them and blah, blah, blah. Um, there's then footage comes to light from, I think it's one of these Whittle kids. Yeah. It's phone footage from a kind of school or youth camp thing that they'd been on maybe a year or year and a half previously uh, that Alice had been on with them um, to a place called Lake Mungo, which is where the film gets its name from. So it's not this lake at the start, this Lake Mungo becomes key now in the film. Uh, and it's just, it's phone footage. You know, typical fucking kids, teen camp, they're up on a campfires, probably drinking, stuff like that, um, messing about. But there's a very brief bit where they appear to see kind of Alice walking away. And then there's a further bit later on where it, very faintly, it looks like she, it's Alice kneeling down, burying something. And the parents kind of get to see this. And then the dad sort of starts talking about um, she, when she came back from that camp, she'd been kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, her brand new phone was gone. Her watch, her jewellery and all that, all her personal kind of stuff was gone. Um, and that she'd just not been really the same after she came back from that. I think they'd kind of written it off as like teenage fucking problems or something, I don't know. But they did make note of this. So they then decide that maybe there was more to this Lake Mungo thing than they were aware of. That, so that they're going to travel up because in the, the the camera footage stuff, um, there's a couple of landmarks, like a very distinctive tree and stuff like that. So they can roughly kind of estimate where she would have been when this was getting filmed. Mm-hmm. So they head out there and they find um, a bag buried with her phone and her watch and her jewellery and all that in it. And they can't figure out what, why she buried all her personal stuff. You know, it became apparent it was her that had done this. So they sort of get back home, they get the phone fired up and there's, there's um, camera footage on the phone and it's her walking off into the bush, if you like, for a while. And then we start to see there's something kind of else appears on the screen and it starts to get bigger and it's coming towards her. And we see it's a figure, mm-hmm. kind of quite pale, kind of almost white, walking out the darkness towards her. And it gets closer and closer and you start to make out features and that. And it's this other girl. And then it basically goes right up to her and then they freeze it. And... I didn't pick up on this right away, but the dad basically says it's the face of the body I saw in the morgue. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially Alice. She has seen herself after she's dead. And then the 
footage kicks back in and we get this one kind of jump scare in this film where the, you know, this character lurches towards the camera kind of thing. The camera falls. Really kind of traditional kind of found footage type thing, you know? Uh-huh. I fucking shat myself. <laughs> I really, really did. I utterly shat myself because by this point he's now fucking got me convinced that she's just seen herself, you know, and then it fucking attacks her. Um, <laughs> oh God, this isn't easy. Um, he then basically says, "So I, I'm like, what the fuck is going on now? Do you know what I mean? I thought they said that body there was definitely her. So then he starts saying, right, this is what I think happened. And this is, this is, I quite dug this about Lake Mungo that you're not, in my mind, you're not really given a definitive answer to this film, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter that they don't. This film is good enough that it can survive without that, in my mind. In fact, I think it benefits from it. He basically says, what I think happened was Alice saw a ghost, and it was a ghost of herself. And it gave her a kind of vision of her death and her own mortality kind of thing. So basically what we're left with is this happened to her out there and she came back kind of knowing how she was going to die Mm -hmm. and what was going to happen to her. We then tie this back into these sessions she was having with the, the psychic guy. You know, and these nightmares and that, they were all obviously clearly caused by what she'd experienced out there at Lake Mungo kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's kind of what happened. What happens after that in the film, we then start to see footage of her um, interviews with the psychic, crossed with footage of her mum. They're kind of packing up the house to leave and her mum goes into her room and then it dawned on me that when her mum's going through the room it's what she had described previously to the psychic and it's what Alice is describing mm-hmm. and she's saying you know I can see my mum coming into the room and I'm trying to talk to her she can't hear me and all this you know and the mum had said you know I see myself walking into the room and I can feel her there and everything and it it's like this idea that they're kind of path they're passing each other in the spirit world almost kind of thing. Now, I quite dug this because what, what, what you believe happens after you die, it doesn't really fucking matter. If you believe that there's some further existence, if you like, I, I personally like to believe that in that plane, if you will, you know, what we regard as the laws of time and physics and that don't apply. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it's a completely different existence and that perhaps you know these spirits can sort of travel through periods of time because you start to realize that time is quite jumbled up in terms of when these interviews are happening and what's happening in this room and when they're talking about it's clearly the same thing they've been talking about you know and it's quite confusing but again it's okay because in my head i'm going well you, you shouldn't be able to understand that because this is what happens after you die, and it's not within our makeup to understand that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that's how I was okay just to put it aside and go, right, doesn't really matter how that happened, that's what happened. And that kind of, like, fuck it, just go with it. 
is what makes the film great. I think you know it just carries you through the film to the end of it, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so the, we get this bit. So they've obviously kind of been passing each other as spirits, if you like, or one was a spirit and the other wasn't. Whatever. The film pretty much kind of ends there. It finishes on a um, an image of the three of them, the mum, the dad and the son in the garden. We've seen this image at the start of the film. It's actually a video footage that they're taking, but they're standing still in it. And then it freezes. And it starts to fucking pan over <laughs> to this window behind them, and there's a figure in this window. <laughs> I swear, you even knew I'm getting fucking chills back thinking about this. Did you watch the credits? Yes, yes, Baz. I, 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 I watched the credits. So did I. <laughs> did you enjoy the credits, Baz? No. <laughs> right. Here's my fucking rant. <laughs> And when I say no, I don't mean that the credits ruined this film. In case anybody's going, oh my God, did the credits ruin this film? They absolutely do not ruin this film at all. But ever since fucking Marvel started dropping all this post-credit Easter egg shit into other films, I've developed this fucking inability to get to the end of a film and just fucking switch off. I have to fast forward through the credits to make sure I don't miss a fucking three-second cameo by fucking... Thing with Del Toro or something like that, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but recently I've tried to wean myself off that by going, lads, just Marvel. If you're not watching a Marvel film, nobody else does it, so fucking calm down. And as the credits started in this film, I remember thinking to myself, right, this is a, I'm assuming, a relatively cheaply made film. Mm-hmm. All of these kind of found footage ones tend to be. Um, they're definitely not going to do post credit stuff. And just as I was about to fucking turn it off, the first few screens of credits had come up and then a photograph came up and I kind of looked and it's the photograph from the garden earlier on, the kind of very iconic one that started it all, if you like. And it kind of zooms over to the figure that we see there that we know that the character of Matt had kind of superimposed on the garden image to make it look like a ghost. And then the fucking camera starts to pan over to the right of the felt the picture. And right at the back, in the corner, very small, Alice is sitting on a chair. Watching this. By this point, I'm fucking drenched in my own urine, right? <laughs> Figuratively, not physically, but I, I really, I, I was rattling, and there's about four of these <laughs> sort of pictures uh, like still frames and it's all of the pictures and stuff that we saw earlier on that were basically disproved mm. but it pans to a different part of the photograph and there's something there one of the ones for instance the, the video footage that was used to debunk all of the stuff at the start the video taken by the couple at the lake and we see uh, Matt coming out from behind the tree and then it pans down and up and right in the back there's a tiny little figure of Alice watching I was a fucking blubbering wreck <laughs> by the end of these credits you sent me a text Baz tell them what I put in the text don't um, so I got a text last night um, 
I just finished watching the film as well at half past 11 at night and it says oh my god fuck you McLeish and fuck these goddamn movies and I asked you what was up Baz I was like what's up you went I was literally too scared to get up and put the light on at the end of that fucking film yeah (laughs) without a word of a lie I was genuinely (laughs) as I say my wife went upstairs I'm half new right in this film for the next hour, I kept having to look round the room as I was watching the film uh-huh. to make sure there wasn't a wee face in the corner of the fucking room somewhere. I was utterly terrified by this film. And when it finished, I'm sitting in the dark. All I want is the light to be on. And I genuinely had to psych myself up to walk I live in a new build fucking house my living room is not the biggest living room in the world you've been in it plenty of times you know the fucking size of it (laughs) to get to the door to hit the switch was a monumental fucking achievement last night Um, getting upstairs I practically ran up the stairs Mm -hmm. to my fucking bed by the end of this I I I genuinely think this is the scariest film I've seen in two years of (laughs) my Honestly, I really, really think it is, and it, I'm kind of flabbergasted by it again because it, it's a similar effect to what happened to me with the last broadcast, although a much more intense one. I can't, you know, there's not a lot happens in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, it's not full of huge jump scares. You know, there's not crashing chandeliers. There's not fucking monsters just outside the, the you know the, the vision of the camera that you spin round and see there's none of that there's very little moving footage in it there's one jump scare everything else is still frame shots mm-hmm. it's just a fucking great story well acted oh that acting's phenomenal yeah and it's just really good fucking storytelling and, and the the, the you know, the, the intensity that they build up in this is staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, this film, it scared the utter shit out of me, this film. <laughs> Fucking thing, man. Um, I, I had said to you very briefly, um, a couple of things I want to touch on. Um, I'd said to you briefly before we started recording that there is definitely parallels to Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, you'd mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you can look at on a superficial level the surname of the girls who die in both movies is Palmer. You look at it that way. You both look at it from the point of view that they were found, you know, near a body of water, having apparently been potentially drowned. Yeah. Um, that when you start looking into their lives, they were kind of quiet, well liked girls who had this whole other darkness about them that no one knew which comes out during the investigation uh-huh. um, their connections with a psychic psychiatrist sort of thing um, their kind of sexual practice with someone they shouldn't have been sleeping with at the age they were all these sort of things definitely are there which makes me you know it makes me think that definitely 
this dude, this Joel dude, has has grown up watching Twin Peaks. It's definitely been an influence on him. But the second thing I want to touch on is that I have a different interpretation of the ending, Baz. All right. Right. To me, you're right. Um, they have these conversations between, with the psychiatrist where they basically tell two sides of a, a story that's interacting. But um, I think that Ali has already she's found that she's like kind of got the ability to see her own death but I think she also sees her mother's death I think um, there is a there's a very powerful reason why when the house is being packed up it's the father and the son that's doing it when the when just Ali's, them like yeah it's just them the mother's not there they're not in the the mother doesn't appear in the sequence however she's in the girl's room and um Ali says that you know she doesn't see her and she you know turns around to leave the room and then the clip we see is of her mother walking out the room holding a black cord and then going out down the corridor and round the corner and I think the mother kills herself. I think she commits suicide and I think that's why you don't see her after that sequence. I think that Ali sees her mother's death very similar to how she saw her death at Lake Mungo. She sees her death before that in the sessions with the psychiatrist. Alright. I I totally missed all that. I didn't see this cord thing that you're talking about. Yeah, she she walks out of the room holding a black cord in her in her hands and goes round the corner. Um and Oh see I thought she was just packing up the room while they were packing up the car outside. Nah, nah So are you saying that was actually different times? Yeah, I think yeah, I think the three ah. sequences are all shot at different times. I think the father and son are shot in the present time. I think the mother's interaction is shot just before that, and I think that obviously Ali's sequence is shot before that. So I think the mother kills herself at the end. Um, I think if you get a chance to watch the movie again, I don't know when you intend on watching the movie. Yeah, again. not anytime fucking soon. <laughs> I mean that in all seriousness. <laughs> if you watch it back, I think the thing is as well. See if you watch this movie back. I'm going to be looking at every fucking photo that appears on that screen with like a ridiculous eye for the corners of what's happening. Yeah, I, 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 I totally get that. I mean, I, you start to do it anyway mm-hmm. as the film goes on because you start to realise there's other things in these pictures kind of thing, but they, they do it so fucking well. You never actually see them until they lead you to it. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's Yeah, It's I, I, will, I will echo... Your statements, I think. I mean, I I never rushed out to see this movie when people were talking about it. I genuinely think it's one of the best found footage. I know it's not technically a found footage movie; it's a fucking fake full documentary. But it's one of the best of that genre I've ever seen, like ever. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily. It didn't have the same visceral scare effect on me. It definitely had a creepy vibe, in such a way that I've been thinking about the movie all day today at my work. I could not get it out of my brain at all. Um, I've been playing over certain sequences over and over again. I think it handles grief in a way which I've never really seen, like put forward in a in this sort of environment in movies where it feels real and raw. Um, I think the acting, like you said earlier on, is. Is so good. It's excellent. They're all very good. Every character, even the ones that have two seconds on the screen, feel like legitimate people. They they don't feel like actors. So, yeah, I think this movie is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I don't want 
I don't know if people think I hated this film. I absolutely loved this film. Mm-hmm. The story's built. It's like the last broadcast. I love the story behind it. Yeah. Um, it just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> but it's a brilliant film. I genuinely don't know how quickly I will go back to it, but that's because I'm kind of scared of it. Mm. No, that's, you know I, mean, I mean, that's that's. Hey, listen, I've, I've said many times before the the biggest compliment you can pay to a director of a a horror movie is the effect that this movie had on you. Um, I think in Joey Tribbiani fashion, I think my DVD's going in the freezer <laughs> before I go to my bed tonight. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god, yeah, this fucking movie. Baz, Baz, I need yeah. to ask you, my friend, because um, we could I don't spend... think you need to bother. I do kind of, <laughs> I do kind of need to ask you though, because like I say, we could spend more time analysing exactly yeah. what it is that makes this movie creepy, and I, I don't know what it is myself. It's just fucking weird. Um, but the, the the ultimate question that comes up is Baz and the second movie review on this episode the third episode of Baz v Halloween 2015 on the, the, the pantheon the stage the battleground the immortal battle of Baz v Halloween in this round who was victorious Baz or Halloween oh Halloween fucking kick my ass <laughs> honestly and then use my face to wipe the blood up <laughs> Um, yeah, no, fucking, there's absolutely no question about it. Oh. No question about it. I genuinely think that's top of the pile. Two years, I think that's the fucking worst I've been through. I don't know why. I don't. I fucking don't know why. <laughs> just that. Just hey, we've all got them. We've all uh, got them. We've all got that one movie that just it, it just hits us on a level which we can't quite explain. Yeah. Um, I'll sing the praises of this thing though. Mm-hmm. I will bang on at people about this. Uh, since I saw Poughkeepsie tapes, I keep banging on to people about Poughkeepsie tapes. You need to see this film, man. It's fucking amazing. Do you know what I mean? This is my new Poughkeepsie that yeah. I'm going to bang on at people. You need to see this film, Lake Mungo. It's fucking amazing. It absolutely is. I won't watch it with you, but um, <laughs> you need to see it. <laughs> you know. Right, right, Baz. What I think I think we should do is we should take a short break. You can pour yourself a stiff drink, and when we return, we will be closing out part three, the third episode of Baz v Halloween 2015. Myself and the Baz coming right back after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been a little bonus episode 195, giving you some choice cuts of the Baz ahead of his return to podcast Under the Stairs. That's right, ladies and gents. The man, the myth, the legend himself returning back for five recorded episodes, five movie reviews. He's going to be covering Carrie, Psycho, Rosemary's Baby, the Last House on the Left, and Don't Look Now. Five classics he's never seen before, and um, five classics he will be reviewing in classic bad style when he makes his return to podcast Under the Stairs. And you do not have long to wait. We're about four days away from that first episode dropping at Tuesday, 1st of October, and then every Monday after that until the end of the month. Hope you enjoyed this episode. You laughed at the points you were supposed to laugh at, cringed at the bits that you were supposed to cringe at and of course get suitably excited 
wet, moist and all those other uncomfortable words for the return of the baths. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, say come across and check us out on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the feed, leave us a rating and a review. It's the best way to support us on that platform. You can also check us out at Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can visit our website, tputtscast.com, or buy merch like pins and posters from our merch page, which is tputtscast.bigcartel.com. You can come across and check us out on Facebook if you want to join the group page. You can chat to other listeners that listen to the show and chat about horror. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputtscast. Alternatively, if you only want to know when the shows are dropping or occasionally check out a live stream or a Thursday Thursday, you can do it by going to facebook.com forward slash tputtscast. That's our Facebook group page. Um, You can also, while you're at it, interact with myself and the aforementioned Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexiness Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at Teapot's Cast and interact with us on the Flick Chat app it's available free on iOS and Android it is a social media app designed specifically for podcasters and listeners you can not only listen to the shows through there but interact with the group on a series of managed posts which you jump into, you'll have to see them, so spoil away in those posts and be of the knowledge that nothing will be spoiled for you there. You can join it by creating yourself a little profile and the join code is TPUTSCAST. Couldn't be any easier. Uh, the link is also in the description. It'll take you directly over there. It's free. It's fucking awesome. I love it. We've got well over 110 people there now all interacting and chatting about horror. So join us on the Flick Chat app. The podcast under the stairs will return tomorrow where we do a full recap of the month that was September 2019. Looking at the big news stories, looking at those big titles that made the way to the cinema, we'll cast an eye over the work we did on Podcast Under the Stairs on what has been a truly momentous month. The highest amount of downloads we've ever had in a single month. Mind fucking blown. As well as checking out what the bespoke labels are releasing as well. But until then, wherever you are, what the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big, bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off. Good evening. Ha ha ha. I was walking in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. My monster from its lab began to rise and suddenly Track of the It's now the monster match. The monster match.